Triple check the levels. Triple, triple. Triple, double. Is that going red when you talk? Or is it hello, green? hello. Uh, the beat well, when I'm talking like this, it's green. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think, uh, so, that's, that's when it gets red. I'm not yeah, yeah. That. No, that's good. Um, all right. <clears throat> I don't think it's going to pick up. I have the music in the background, but I don't think it's going to pick it up. I can't hear it. It's all about comfort. Hey, um, comfort. So what? What episode is this? Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteenth episode of what is it called? <laughs> never mind. Oh yeah, never mind the podcast. <laughs> what is it called? Fifteen. Well, it's been a while, man. Damn, fucking pandemic got us amnesia. That's a sign. It is. This is a straight sign of the COVID. This is a, a, another quarantine episode. <laughs> I think we've only done two. This is our second. Second episode in quarantine. During we quarant- should be doing more, which is funny because now that we have the time, well, but it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. But first, I want to I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, Marcus and Millichap Bacon Trust. Uh, <laughs> They're kind of an unofficial sponsor. The reason why they're a sponsor is because I went in there today on my way over here. To, I needed a roll of quarters, and they gave me a cup of coffee as well. So that's I'm all up and caffeinated, ready to go to do this podcast. Uh, thank you, Marcus and Mochap. Thank you, Marcus. Hey, we got our first sponsor. Hey, check out our other sponsor, Dio Geronimo. <laughs> Salsa de pancakes. <laughs> There's a lot of... There's a lot of sponsorship coming in. Vicky sent me this today. I was dying. I was like, oh my God. Because, so, you know, they're trying to, they're, they're doing away with Aunt Jemima. Yeah, and Uncle Ben and yeah, Butterworth. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so anybody listening to this, which, what's the last, have you, do you even look anymore? What? Stats? Like, does anybody even listen Fuck, to I this? haven't, I, I haven't looked since we did the, the one before last. So nobody's listening to this. <laughs> so zero. Listeners. So basically when I'm saying that <laughs> anybody out there, if you want to sponsor it, I'm really just asking you. Yeah. Which you already are sponsoring it because we're in your house. Um, I already broke the headphones. We, you know, if Dr. Dre, you happen to listen to this, you want to donate some beats. Yeah, or if you want to be a suck. guest, you want to be a guest on the show, we could talk about uh easy e we could talk about why in god's name you like eminem there's a lot of things we talk about but anyways on that note we're gonna talk about the beastie boys and we're gonna talk about the album check your head which came out in 92 1992 fucking riots Um, came out like right at the same time as the riots it was uh it was like April of the riots. So you know what I was thinking when this is their third album. Third album. What when did Paul's Boutique come out? Was that 89? 89. So this is there was it seemed like a really long gap. Like yeah. and this is this is probably just because you know this was our there's a lot of growing uh involved in these years for me. For you too. I mean, you know, like for me though from the Beastie Boys, from the first time I ever even was aware of the Beastie Boys, really early because you were into it. You had the album, uh, License to Ill. It was even the, it, it was funny. The, I remember, 
I can't remember what came before that as far as like parental advisory stickers or whatever, but I do remember that you had License to Ill on vinyl, and I think I was in fourth or fifth grade? Fifth grade, definitely fifth grade. And no one, like... I was in 10th. Their their kids could, their parents wouldn't buy it for them or whatever. Yeah, I was in 10th grade. So you might have been in sixth. Maybe sixth then. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was sixth grade. I was in Miss Flores' class. But so nobody, all these kids, they, they wanted it because it was, it was hot. It was like something that kids in high school, I mean, we were in fucking elementary school and we knew who the Beastie Boys were. Um, but I would make tapes of your copy of vinyl and I was selling them to the kids in my class. <laughs> um, and fast forward to... 92 check your head i'm getting ready to get out of high school already so that's a lot of change you know in in a short period of time because when did what was it 86 86 was licensed to L. yeah so 86 to 92 isn't that much time three it's, albums to put a record for, for a band it's a big gap it is a big gap but just so much t- so many things happen and yeah. things were happening at such a different pace back then where I mean, I guess you could look back at any time periods and it seems like there's drastic changes, uh, especially, I mean, we're talking about the 80s going into the 90s. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Paul's Boutique, I remember, other than the, what was the big the big single? Wasn't it? Hey Ladies? Hey Ladies, yeah. yeah. And that was, like, a big video. But, like, that album kind of, like, it was like De La Soul is Dead. It was kind of like, not necessarily a flop, but it was a flop in terms of like sales it and flopped, reputation. It flopped in sales. It was definitely considered a letdown to the to Capitol Records. Um, it's one of the best records fucking made as far as like the production is concerned and like just the sampling. Like, I think it's more the complexity of how much they sampled over on top of each other on that. Cause like the, the Rick Rubin produced album, the first one and then was the Dust like, Brothers. it almost was like they didn't even, they just came in and did the rhymes over what Rick Rubin created, which was like, you know, the Led Zeppelin beats, the, the, the real eighties real like heavy, you know, like, run dmc style in your face it was totally like run dmc yeah it was almost like and a lot of the rhymes were taken from run dmc it was like a comedy album almost. yeah and it was it was like it was definitely a cooperative uh like rhyming like you got three guys and like there would be certain stanzas where it would be fulfilled by all three of them not necessarily like the old style where it was like if you've got four mcs or like like rappers delight. There's like how many MCs are on that track? Like maybe five. three or four or five. It's five. Yeah, but they're never jumping on, stepping on each other's lines. It's yeah. just it's your turn to rock the mic. Okay, you go. And that's probably because the culture back then. If you're talking about house parties, there was only one mic. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like the. But but I, I don't know because I mean you've seen those battle scenes in like a wild style. There's like. They're they all have microphones, but that just it didn't go down on tape like that. No, um, it was like respectfully. You wait till this guy's done, then you come in. Or if you were doing like an ensemble thing, it was like, and you can even hear the breath control coming in and out. Like a that's a sonic kind of band. Yeah, you know what I mean, like that was a rotational kind of MC thing that was in the eighties. Um, 
that had that same style. Run DMC traded off, which is they only had two MCs trading off, but still same style. Yeah. Like, my I turn, think, your turn. I think by check your head, it's like they kind of add that like element where there's still three MCs, but then now they're doing, they're dropping those like flavor flave, like little, uh, like, cause Flavor Flav was like a hype man. Yeah. You know, Chuck D is the rapper, but Flavor Flav would come in and out and just pepper these little, yeah. like he would say a line with them to close the stanza or whatever. So now by check your head, they're, they're mixing it up a little more. They're, they're almost like the, the ultramatic and ultramagnetic MCs, you know, which kind of contemporary contemporaneously putting out early albums. Um, but, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. There's something about check your head. The again, it it probably had a huge. If now that I'm thinking about it, it had a huge campaign behind it. There was a lot of like you just saw that album cover, and it was so like you know it's black and white. They look like street kids. They didn't necessarily look hip hop, but you knew you already knew who the Beastie Boys were. Yeah. And they were already accepted, like, from the get-go because they were on fucking Def Jam. Like, they were accepted into hip-hop culture. And this is talking about, like, really, what other representation did you have in hip-hop that wasn't, like, 100% black? You had maybe, you had, like, Third Base. You had um, uh, maybe, like, Kid Frost. There was some, like, Latino rappers. But really, it was just, you know, like, hip hop was black and then you have the beastie boys. Yeah. And this and is also like coming. Cause this is like Cypress Hill. Oh yeah. Sorry. I forgot about Cypress they Hill came Street, in at House this of time. Pain. House of pain was like big around this time around this album. Um, ice cube had already been on his own for a few years, but he was fucking huge during this time with his the solo, mom. his solo records and like his side projects and stuff like that. And, this was also like this was fuck man this was like my heyday of just going to a show i mean i might i may be remembering this incorrectly but i feel like there was a big show once a week at the palladium and it and it could have been the lineups were crazy you would have a fucking chili pepper beastie boy lineup or a fucking beastie boy uh Tribe Call Quest, Fushnikins lineup. Like, it was like, you can have like this really crazy, like, mix of like punk rock and roll bands with, with the Beastie Boys sprinkled in there, or you can have an all hip hop lineup and the Beastie Boys would still fit in that to mm-hmm. that lineup. It was kind of, it was kind of cool because they can slip in and out of those, you know, genre kind of things because well, they nobody were like a would bridge care. Act. Huh? They were like a bridge act. Yeah. Like, you, you wouldn't, if you were going to see the Chili Peppers, you wouldn't be offended that the Beastie Boys were opening up. I don't know if Ice-T could have opened up for the Chili Peppers because that that's too hardcore. Well, maybe after because he played Lollapalooza. He played Lollapalooza as, as body count. But what I'm saying is like there was they bridged that gap between the punk rock skater crowd and then the real hip-hop crowd, which when, you know, when they first came out, people kind of wrote them off as a joke. And then they were like, wait, these guys are actually really good. And then they started playing their own instruments. And by this album, they were doing instrumentals and playing, you know, actually playing music yeah, and well, rapping over the music that they played. The way I remember, it wasn't so much that they were, 
I mean, they definitely were like they came off as like a novelty, but there was just such an open like there there was just open arms for that. And really, when I look back, I really don't know why. Like, I really don't know because we grew up in a weird like suburb where where we grew up was really nice and it was definitely multicultural. I mean, every every race you could imagine was represented on our small little block of homes. You know, we had East Indian neighbors, we had Chinese, we had Korean, we had Cuban people, we had African American people, all in the same fucking block. Yeah. And we lived in a small little block within this suburban community. But it was kind of in the middle, almost like an oasis, this suburb where it was encapsulating Artesia, which is Portuguese, turning into East Indian. Yeah. And then the outskirts were like like Latino Com- ghettos. Well, even, like, even like Compton was well, not that far. I'm, I'm talking about really close. Yeah. It was like Latino ghettos, like yeah. Norwalk and Artesia. The one ways. Um, and then you go, yeah, then you go to like the, the, the furthest... Um, stretches of North Long Beach where you're touching Compton and Dominguez. So it was this real big like melting pot, but I think there was enough because we had all those cultures around us that we didn't really have to venture too far to find out what was happening. It was almost like like the Cerritos Mall was kind of like a big like centrifugal uh establishment of culture for youth then yeah do you remember in the i don't know if you remember this but remember like people would break dance in the mall and then oh, the yeah. cops would come and break it up and then and you, with a big box yeah like a big ass fucking boom box and then like the cops would break it up and then there was like this rule implemented that you couldn't walk with groups of three or more mm-hmm. they like if you were with a group of friends they would tell you like no three like three people and then like remember even jerry's was like two students at a time. Oh yeah, because they had video games in there. Were allowed into the store, and it was all these like rules because everybody was afraid of these kids. They were into hip hop. Like hip hop well, scared everybody. And that's what I'm saying. Like I don't understand the appeal. For us, it made sense because we were already on that border of listening to the Beatles and listening to James Brown. So it wasn't. It wasn't really that far-fetched when we even found out or knew what hip-hop was it wasn't like oh my god this is so new and it's so it was like no it's just like it's just like another form of punk rock and we were already about that so it wasn't but i'm thinking about like kids that you know came from a little bit more from a from a from a little bit more of a sheltered stance where their parents weren't letting them listen to this that and the other like i don't understand what the appeal was initially um why these three goofy looking kids mm. doing this rap like like did they have a a reference point to what hip hop or rap even was even though if you listen to the beastie boys first album it's barely a rap album because of what they're singing about um mind you too this isn't like when like higher consciousness of rap started that started a little bit later that started in like the late 80s early 90s with stuff like like grand poobah and you know the native tongues tongues. um so it's just strange to me how like like you know sometimes like we talked about another episode we talked about how the strokes had a perfect platform 
at that time, at that point in time to just be in the right place at the right time to blow up. Like I'm looking back and it's like, I don't understand how that happened with the Beastie Boys, but it did. And they were everywhere and it was huge. Um, yeah, because if you think about like what what their debut is, is they came out, they opened for Madonna, which is the exact opposite of the crowd that accepted them. They weren't accepted by that by that Madonna crowd. Well, that was probably real teeny bopper then. Yeah, too. and it's like yeah, and like the Madonna crowd is like eleven year old girls with laced fucking neon shirts Mm -hmm. and like you know trying to look like madonna torn clothes and and you got these guys coming out doing this parody of a of a of a frat boy kind of attitude you know crushing cans on their skulls and you know shaking up beer cans and exploding it's like that is what attracted the the spur posse crowd of these like privileged kids. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the fight for your right to party, my least favorite of all their songs. That's that crowd's fucking favorite song. I guess, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's, it's like you, the, now that what, you, what, what I was attracted to was a completely different thing than what the people who lived in Lakewood and certain parts of Long Beach, you know, the, the wider parts of Long Beach, were attracted to they they saw fight free right to party and low and slow didn't affect them eventually they would listen to it but they weren't immediately fans of listening to because well, they didn't have a reference point to yeah it. they never reference like for me low and slow slow and low slow and low i don't know is the first song this i wasn't the first song i'll talk about the, the first backwards song. 808 yeah the 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 power veer is the first thing mm. that ever that ever gripped me but listening to slow and low and you know you you hear that that war sample and i'm like oh i know that that war yeah. song well yeah we were already listening to k yeah so like the like, funk aspect of it and the stuff that they were saying like i didn't realize that that was a john bonham beat until later but when i go back and listen to it and like it's i think it's when the levy breaks is one of the mm-hmm. one of the main the ones one. that they use um but the 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 funniest thing about it is i bought the record from Best Records, because I heard that the Beastie Boys were a punk band. Mm. And I brought that record home, and I put it on, and I think the first track is Rhyming and Stealing, and I just didn't even give it a minute. I just was like, what? Because I, I had no, like, talk about no, having no reference point. Yeah, I really didn't even know what the fuck I was listening to. And I had already heard other hip-hop at that point, but it didn't sound like hip-hop to me, like, in the traditional sense of what hip-hop is yeah so i don't think i i think i let the first song play a little bit and then i just i mean i think i if i remember i think i just took it off and just put put it back in the sleeve and just put it away and i don't think i pulled it out until about a month later and i remember being in class uh the classrooms that are on the on the side of the street that face RT, uh, what is that, Artesia? Mm-hmm. And I remember being in class, and that that was my six period class where the kids that were coming to pick up, the, you know, like pick up their girlfriends and whatever, because school was about to let out. And remember the the Nissan mini trucks, mm-hmm. and they had like the whole bed was like just it's good moves. I got hydraulics. Yeah, and it was like all fucking just amplifiers and subwoofers. Yeah, and one of those trucks was playing Paul Revere, and I just was like, what is that? I had, and you have it. And I didn't even know I had it in my fucking room. 
And I remember, you know, we didn't have Shazam. We didn't have internet. We didn't have it. It was just like, hey, does anybody know what that is? No one knew what it was. And then I started hearing grumblings of this name, Paul Revere. And I'm like, what's is Paul Revere a group? What's Paul Revere? Like, I knew who the historical figure was, but I didn't know that it was in reference to this particular song. And I was on K-Day that I finally heard the song in its entirety. And they gave, they said, Beastie Boys, Paul Revere. I went home. Pulled out my fucking record. The title of the track, Paul Revere, is on there. Put that song on, and then that was it. It was like that. That did it for me. That was an instant fan, you know, forever fan at that point because I knew what I was listening to at this yeah. point. And then listening to the rest of the album because even and I even still remember getting to the fight for your right. The video had had not come out yet, mm. and I remember listening to it, and I just. I don't even think I thought much about it. I was just like, oh, it's just part of the album. It didn't speak to me at all. Then the video came out and you can see who these guys were. And then I kind of was like, I don't know if I like this. Like, I don't know if I like this anymore because these clowns. Yeah. And the only one that looked, I think the, in my mind, the only one that had like real hip hop credibility was Mike D. But that was just because he had, the hat and he had like a Volkswagen <laughs> chain. Yeah. You know, cause like Ad-Rock and um, Ad-Rock just looked like, like a frat kid. Yeah. And MCA almost looked like a, like a Hessian kind of, you know, just with shorter yeah, hair. Leather jacket, gruff, Jeans. gruffy beard. Yeah, like he didn't look like, he looked like, he looked you like know what he looked Dylan. like? Dylan. He looked <laughs> like he could be in like a, like he could be in like Franz Ferdinand or something. Like yeah. he didn't look like like an what MC. would be. He was a hipster before hipsters were hipsters. Yeah, and, kind of a thing. And the thing when you mentioned about, which makes sense, that crowd that liked "Fight for the Right to Party" was their intro. It's like if you think about it, they were probably stifled with the state of like heavy metal was just turning into like ballads by then. That's when oh, like yeah. White Snake and Def Leppard, like all the all the big hits from like metal bands that you know metal's all about testosterone and and playing fast and being like you know like really really manly. And yeah. then at that period in the mid '80s, all those same bands were making ballads. ballads. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like, okay, I guess I need to find something else because this ain't cutting it anymore. You know. And speaking of those ballads, listen to Wind of Change, the podcast. That shit's fucking awesome. I finally finished it the other day. Yeah, I listened to <laughs> it's it. It's so good. fucking good. Um, but yeah, so I find out what Paul Revere is. I just devour that record and then I start passing it on to my friends like, hey, check this out. And then my friends start listening to it and start liking it. And these are guys that only listen to metal and punk. You know, my, mm. a couple of my friends were metal and punk only kind of guys. But the Beastie Boys. So then after the Beastie Boys, the little bits and pieces of hip hop that started coming out started to really take shape and form into like, like I remember gathering with my friend. We we go to Marcus's house and we would get K-Day in the car because the car conducted the station pretty well you couldn't listen to it in the house for some weird reason and so like we would listen to k-day at a specific time i want to say it was 5 p.m i don't remember but it was like a specific dj and they played like this non-stop block of like the latest hip-hop and we just sat there and then and then we started you know 
remembering the like what the what the titles were because they would say the titles and then go to the record store and try to find them. And I remember finding uh, "You Got to Show," yep, um, EPMD because I had heard that on that radio station. I bought the twelve inch of that, and then I bought Eric I think B it was a Kumo D. How you like, How me, you now? like me now? And yeah, follow the leader had had or not follow the leader the one before that. Move the crowd. Paid the paid, in, paid full, in full. Yeah, bought that, and then it started to just be like this. This it just started growing and growing and growing, and it was like, it wasn't like we had there was a circus magazine that was hit parader, so we knew what to look for when it came to the metal stuff. The punk stuff was more like going to the record store and just looking through the punk you know associated labels or whatever flyers. or there even was. flyers or zines but there was no information for hip-hop there wasn't a there was no nothing it was there was no representation anywhere well, yeah, even k-day that's that was an am station yeah it was an am station but you know i do remember seeing like before all this i do remember seeing beat street in the theater in the Stritos mall and um the reference point for that was like kind of strange too. Cause that was, that was big. Like I remember the ads for it. I remember going, I don't remember it being packed and I don't think I'm, mean, who knows how long it was in the theaters. I don't fucking know. Um, I don't remember seeing crush groove in the theaters because, and that has the beastie boys in it. Um, which is kind of a big, but that, that movie kind of, not that it got slept on, but it wasn't, you know, if anything, that's, te- that was the story of Def Jam. Yeah, it was. You know, like Rick Rubin's actually in the movie yeah. playing himself. Um, and Russell Simmons is in it, too, Russell's, but he's, he's not playing himself in the Russell's movie. Russell's in it, yeah. Um, but you know what's funny? When you're talking about when the like, breakdancing in the Stritos Mall, I'll never forget. I was young, though. But one of those times where there was two big crews, someone had a big box, and they remember they had those, like, the seating areas was just a big stone, like... Like a planter. Right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they had some that was they had some that were planters and some that was it was just a it was like a giant ottoman. Yeah. But I remember someone put a box up there, like the big, you know, fucking boom box, and they were about to battle. And then the you know, the security it wasn't even cops, it was security came and broke it up. And I felt like I was fucking in Beat Street. I was like, man, this is the best. And it was right in front of the movie theater because the movie theater. And then the arcade. And the arcade was, yeah. that was like the hot what? spot. Was it Time Out? Time Out. Time Out was the arcade. It used to be the Sega Center before it was yeah. called Time Out. And Time Out. But it was always the same, just dark. Yeah. And, which again, I think we talked about before, but that was creepy. <laughs> like, you can just let your kids run off. I guess I didn't think about it because I was this, that was my favorite place it to was go. So but yeah, dark. It's like it was dark as you fuck. You can't have an arcade. It was now? all black walled, black carpet. Yeah, dark. It, it would have to be. You'd have to. It'd imagine have to doing be like that now. Seventeen and under. <laughs> you can't have no like old man like in a fucking <sighs> trench coat. But anyways, um, so there were some. I mean, there was movies. There was a way that the word the culture was getting around because then no i, I like, agree we with that i'm just like, saying there was no like there was no information on like what to expect like the movie came the movie was made and it came out and then you had to go and watch the movie and you're in the same position as watching this movie is unless you know who that is yeah you you, you know what i'm saying like when you when you get a magazine and you got like a hit parader and there's like a picture of the guy in Iron Maiden. And, there's mm-hmm. a, and then there's also ads for their new albums that are coming yeah. out. And like they do these reviews. Like there wasn't anything like that for hip hop until later. Like yeah, hip hop had to grow 
to a certain extent, and then we started getting magazines, and then we started getting you know well, yeah. representation on the fucking uh, uh, countdowns of uh, MTV and blah blah blah. And I think that's why the Beastie Boys will always get like they always just have their their position in the world of hip hop because they were pivotal in getting the word out to everybody. You know, yeah. like that's why there was a vibe magazine years down the road because they just didn't have the money behind it. There was no fucking, I mean, were they the first hip hop back on a major label? Like I would, I don't know why they wouldn't be, you know, like run DMC was a big deal, but this is, I think didn't, didn't license the ill come out before walk this way. Yeah, it did. And see like walk this way. Cause that's raising hell. Probably wouldn't have happened yeah. if it wasn't for that crossover of the beastie boys you know yeah um but then you get this weird time where like you know what's def jam put like the like carrie king is in the video yeah i love like slayer so it's like it's almost like like what the hell was def jam at a certain point where it's like you can you imagine seeing an ad for def jam and it's fucking the cover of rain and blood next to license to ill next to you know i can't even think of one they were recording those records at the same time I know, but that's they were what, in the same studio. But the thing that's so weird is just how like, and it's almost like here's two here's two bubbling underground uh, genres that really no one gave a shit about because they're they're bad. They're you know these are like man, can't you kids listen to New Kids on the Block or whatever? Yeah. You know? Um, and then they turned out to be stalwarts of the fucking industry where Slayer just barely retired and the Beastie Boys, you know, if MCA didn't die, they probably would still be fucking yeah. making records. And uh, Well, I mean, I, I had a I had tickets to a show that they didn't do. To a show that they couldn't do because of his condition. And it's it's like I would have I if I would have gone to that one and I would have continued to keep going to him and and I think they might be no, actually, they might not be, but they're up, they're definitely up there in the in the band that I've seen the most performances of. Mm. They're they're right there, but there was also at that time where it was like because I saw Rage, I don't know how many fucking times, and I saw Chili Peppers way too many times, and Fishbone way too many times. You know what I mean? It's like, but it was also part of that time, and the Beastie Boys. I mean, I'd say it was at least a dozen, minimum of a dozen times. I saw him a couple times. I saw him, uh, I think the times that I see him, I was with you too. I only saw him at the Palladium. I saw him at the Act Up LA show. You didn't go to the Velodrome, to that no. Velodrome show with Cypress and I've Rage? Never, I've never been to the oh, Velodrome. That was a great show. The time that I saw him at Act Up LA, that was, that was the one with, it was like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, that was Porno for Pyros and Rollins. Porno for Pyros' yeah. first show. And the Beastie Boys, the Beastie Boys were just such a, a breath of fresh air because they're a party. They like they got the whole place like yeah. like moving. And then we saw them again. I remember I had just graduated high school in 1993, and I think it might have been my Candle Rose or Baccalaureate, whatever they call it. And I was so anti school. I was just like, I don't give a fuck. I don't want to go to graduation, but I did for my parents. I didn't want to go. I wasn't in the fucking picture. I was just like, this is all bullshit. And I remember when they had that candle rose thing, I was like, 
that's the night of the beastie boys i'm not gonna go to fucking some stupid thing at school and sit there and <laughs> wait for fucking people to cry like this is dumb and i think it was it was the beastie boys i think it was fire hose um which i did i never liked fire hose um and i can't remember who else played but that's when they did that was a check your head tour it was late because this is 93 i think they they toured that album for like two years because it was huge oh yeah they had to have done it for two maybe even three years um but they did they they did like a hip-hop set and then they played instruments where they they played punk rock songs and they actually just played like music yeah um and then they they did more of like a hip-hop set um but it was uh it was cool. It was fun. It was, you know, they're, they're definitely a good, uh, live performing band where they're just, you know, some, I don't know, some hip hop, like artists that we saw later or that I saw later. Cause I, it wasn't like I went to hip hop shows. Um, I did go and see public enemy though at the palladium, which was really fucked up because if you think about it, so going to the, going to see the beastie boys at the palladium, it was just a show and it was, Mostly, you know, like white kids, you know, um, when I went to see public enemy, me and the people that I went with were probably almost the only people that weren't black. Oh yeah. But what was fucked up was that was the first show I ever went to that had metal detectors. And I remember that just scared me. Because it was the... The because ex- it was hip-hop. expectation of the real hip hop crowd. Yeah, yeah, it was it was public enemy. Yeah, but it just made me it it gave me this like like it stigmatized my my vision or my version, I guess if that's a better term of like because I was sixteen and I was just like it scared me because I'm like well, what's gonna fucking happen in there then? Can I even be trusted? Like. You know, is is someone in there gonna gonna do something? And it's like they already put that in your mind just yeah. by having that, you know. And then we went in there. That show was way hyper than the Beastie Boys, let me tell you. And nothing happened other than people just fucking, fucking having a party. I kicked myself because I had an opportunity to go to that show and I didn't go. And I don't even know why I didn't go. What's crazy too is I remember um, when I went and I was just like, because my context of the Palladium was you know, slam pits and, and crowd surfing. And no matter what type of music you're going to go see, it was still kind of the same, uh, uh, crowd participation, no matter what you were seeing. Yeah. It was just that same. It was just the LA scene at public enemy. There was people wearing slacks and dress shirts and drinking drinks. But when they came on the stage, it's like, everybody was pogoing and everybody was just fucking going crazy. And I remember just walking in there and I was stoned. So I'm scared that I had to go through a fucking metal detector. And then I'm like, man, these people are dressed nice. Like they're not going to get down. And it's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, yeah, there was, and everybody was just a sweaty mess, but it was just, just in a different way. But the cool thing about it was like, I was like, man, f- you, you guys fucking put metal detectors and nothing was ever going to happen in there. Like, oh, you know, yeah. it's like when we, when we went and saw Raekwon and J-Ru, the damager at the Hacienda Fuck, in downtown. Man, that was terrible. No, that show, the show was amazing. No, I'm not saying but the show. come out yeah. of the show after, I don't know, maybe like two o'clock in the morning because hip hop shows are always running late. 
we were met with riot and gear it was police. fucking yeah like a SWAT team standing on I don't know was that Eighth Street or something in downtown L.A. Just standing there in, in riot gear as the show gets lets out. It's like what kind of bullshit is that? You would never see that at a fucking punk rock show when there were riots. Yeah. Of of shows like in San Bernardino, there was like a skinhead show and like all these neo Nazis were there. No extra security. No, no fucking. Oh, and the thing was, is there was no there wasn't no even any metal detector. There wasn't even an incident that took place. No, they just came out. And harassed us on the way out to walk to our cars, and they were in full fucking riot gear. Like, and this is what ninety six, seven. It was late nineties when Unity was happening. It was. It had to be about ninety six because I was twenty yeah. twenty one years old already. Yeah, it was like ninety six ish because it was Unity only took place for a few years. I went to as many of those. Uh, we went with Seth that one time, right? To EPMD. Didn't you come with us? Uh-huh. Linwood? That's, yeah. That we bowling? went to we went there, we saw EPMD and I think it was the artifacts. It was and a then bunch we of we saw the Wu Tang clan right before they put out Wu Tang Forever. Yeah. And it was everybody except Method Man. See, I saw Wu Tang three times and it was all of them. Every single one of them. Two times and the third time it was missing one of them. And I don't remember who it was missing. That was the one that I went to you with. It was missing it Method Man? He was the only one that wasn't there. Uh, That's the one when Old Dirty Bastard came out and he was just singing. He wasn't yeah. even playing. Like, he wasn't even... But it was awesome because, like, I remember they all came out by themselves and just did, like, their hits. Yeah. Like, Raekwon came out and I think he did Cream. The Jizza came out and did his hit off Liquid Swords. Uh, Ghostface came out and did uh, Daytona 500. And then they did all the, like, their, that was the last time together. I saw them, I think. That was that show yeah. was amazing. That was that was so awesome. But that and same you know that same Hacienda place? That I saw them at that place too. That, yeah, I only went there once. I went there and saw Raekwon and J. Rue the Damager there. That remember, place was cool. I remember they brought out this guy, he was on their label, Law of the Dark Man, mm-hmm. and people were not into it. <laughs> and they the some of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan, they came out and were like screaming at the crowd to like be hype about him. <laughs> Everybody was like, but he sucks. Like just because he's on your label doesn't mean we're going to give him the same respect we well, gave you, you know? Remember too, they started, they were putting out just too much stuff. Like, oh yeah. Like even then, like and it just got watered down. Even by the time, what was one of the last groups? It was, uh, it wasn't like the Killer Bees or maybe it was. Um, well, Capadonna, Killer Army. Kill a, well, there was something else, though, about bees. There was Probably. Because like I remember the last, I think, like, Killer Priest was one of the last albums that was good. Capadonna's album was okay. But, like, Inspect the Deck was dope. Even You God was kind of like, eh. Inspect the Deck has a new group right now that's really, really good. It's called Zarface. Sons of Man. That's oh, what it son, was. I saw them. They by performed. That, they performed at the Law of the Dark Man show. By that time, it yeah. was kind of like this is this isn't your best stuff. Nah, this ain't even good. It's like their cousins, cousins, or and whatever. Yeah, I remember you were buying all of it because I mean, yeah. it was it, we were like label. Uh, I uh, bought everything that they put out, and then I just returned some shit. <laughs> I was like, nope, nope, nope. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, the the I. I like the fact 
that Check Your Head is like a Cali kind of album because they made it here. They're New Yorkers, but they even talk about Gardena. They talk about Glendale Boulevard. Glendale Boulevard. They talk about like. They talk about all the places that no one gave a fuck about Echo Park. No. No one. Atwater Village. Well, that's where their store was too, remember? Yeah, that's the their studio. It was in Atwater. But what was the store? Oh, their store was. uh, What was it called? X? No. Because there was X Girl? Extra large. Extra large. Yeah, it was extra large. They had a store on Vermont next Mm -hmm. to Fat Beats. And then Kim Gordon, her brand is X Girl, and and hers was adjacent to extra large. It was extra large Mm -hmm. and X Girl, and they had like a door that that you can walk into both shops from in the middle. Yeah. And then two doors down was Fat Beats right there on Vermont. But yeah, it was like extra large that turned into Grand Royale when they started the label. Well, and they must have been making albums. I mean, they had to have a connection with L.A. before that, even during Paul's Boutique. Well, they made Paul's Boutique here, too. Because what's it called? Remember the what's that that video where he's in MacArthur Park and he's on the paddle boat? He's just singing Georgie Girl. It's just that's during this album. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was early. I thought that was like cookie. That was the that was the skills to pay the bills. It's a video Mm. that they put out, and it was during the making of this album. Yeah. Because he's he's on a pedal boat. Georgie girl. Yeah, it's in the park. (laughs) Georgie girl. I fucking love that video. Yeah, skills to pay the bills. And then remember what was the girl? Supposedly the drummer. When they were Luscious a Jackson. band. Yeah, then that band was just, they got huge just because yeah. of the ties. It's funny because that movie that they did on uh, And Apple, weren't they on Grand Royale? Yeah. Yeah, and that's their label. Yeah, because the, that was them paying her back for kicking her out of the band and mm-hmm. kind of like apologizing for being dicks to her because like that was their best friend for a long time. And that's, I mean, the thing like... I mean, I want to say her name's Kim something, or maybe I have it wrong, but Luscious Jackson. Yeah. That's, that's the girl. They, I mean, whatever, everything takes steps, takes a lot more steps when you're, when you're talking about, you know, the underprivileged, but just to see what they were able to do in like a decade was like huge. Yeah. When like... As 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 powerful and as influential as like Public Enemy was, I don't think Public Enemy started their own record label. I mean, NWA they had some ties; they made their own shit. But it's like they had to like. I don't know if Public Enemy made their own. They record had to label. work so much harder to do those things, you know. Well, NWA fucked up because they got robbed. But, they um, they made their own label and got robbed from it. And Wu Tang Clan. By the time you get there you already have that infrastructure that hip hop is like a thing now. It's, yeah. it's, it's serious. And they're making well, Wu-Tang Wu-Tang forced their way into a label and then demanded all the points. By the time the first record was done, when the, everyone did solo records, they were able to demand points against their records, which is like unprecedented in, in the hip hop world because everyone got robbed. And I think that's why, again, that's why like, the Beastie Boys are so important because I think they are directly tied to shit like that. Yeah. That made hip hop be like, okay, you know what? You guys might think the the 
the fucking rest of the country or the Christian sect or whoever thinks it's bad because it's coming from black people, um, it's making money now and it's actually sending a message and it's getting the people, you know, it's like it's affecting culture directly. And then you fast forward past Master P and past uh, Rap-A-Lot, uh, everything that just kept getting bigger and bigger where hip hop was fucking topping the charts. Yeah. But then it turns into where it's like, for me, it's like, it's, it's not even fucking hip hop anymore. It's just, there's rap music and it doesn't have the same, like we, we were lucky enough to be like young kids and seeing all that, like everything that got harvested in the like eighties and what it turned into was like amazing, you know? And even remember we went to the smoking grooves tour and we saw like tribe called quest and Gangstar, uh, parliament. I think Cypress Hill, Lauren, um, Lauren Hill parliament, one of the Marley's like that was at the yeah. fucking Greek, Uni- not the, the no, Greek. It was, it was universal. The, yeah. yeah. And like a hip hop tour. It was like, wow. Yeah. And the, like the show, you know, like the fucking notorious B I G and the Wu Tang, like, it was it was turning into something that was just undeniable. It was bigger than K Day. It was I mean, now you have Power One oh six and Well the, yeah, and then and the then beat. we were flooded with the source and vibe. All the vibe and all the magazines that started you know, rap pages and like and Rap Pages was <coughs> cool. I think was, Rap Pages was the one that had like the real deal kinda. Yeah, and it was like then it started. Then you started discovering, you know, like I think then it was like then you knew who the Ghetto Boys were, and then you knew mm-hmm. who the the Miami based hip hop was, and then you know E forties and like all the people that started coming out from the different cities that were like Chicago based rappers, and you know, and people that were coming out of the the South, like Common, yeah, Common from Chicago, No ID, Philly, the Roots. Um, and you started getting like this, like there's a network. Yeah. The network of like how the same grassroots way that the punk rock world worked is how hip hop followed. So they kind of just took the the lead from how punk did it, saw how they did it, but then they turned it into a brand. Now you have clothing brands, sneaker brands mm-hmm. now. And you know, Jay-Z owns uh, a basketball team. Well, he owns a vodka label. Russell Simmons too was a pioneer of <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, Russell Simmons. Farm. He owned he Russell Simmons had his own credit card. He mm-hmm. had the Rush card, you know, and 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 all the same. I mean, uh, Puffy, another one who started oh, doing yeah. all those things well, with yeah, like it, that's, owning shit. That's kind of a pivotal, like almost tipping point when you get to like Puffy. Yeah, because then that kind of like he was really integral, but then. I see like I see that leading into him and like Master P completely different, but I think that's what kind of opened the floodgates to where we're at now and why it's just not any good. Yeah, I mean they I mean there's a lot of stuff that ruined it. Like if you want to just break it down to the music musical aspect of it, but it's like it's their own thing. So yeah. they deserve that. They deserve yeah. to have the opportunity to ruin their own I mean, you, thing because they own the culture in, in the first place. Yeah, you can't condemn a pioneer for like going into uncharted frontiers and planting a flag because it's not up to them 
that's what that was their position that's what they did yeah. now whoever takes that and goes wherever from there and it's unfavorable you can't blame the pioneer but no. they still do get a little you know it's like oh this is kind of sucks you know like yeah um so it's not fair but um i just thought of someone else too in that what we were talking about should no um even though that's a thing too yeah like even, oh my god i mean i whatever i that's something too that i cannot i cannot stand bone thugs in harmony i could i could put up with like uh what's his name um he died too young uh he put out his own record you know from the camp from like snoop dogg and dr dre Nate uh, dog yeah like him i could put up with and even like the the dpgs the the those two little kids what are they what were dog they? pound them daz and corrupt that's like i i like them too but i've hit the brakes right there like when it gets to bone thugs it's just like oh my god it's not even music it's i just, like some of the bone thugs uh, there's a couple of songs i really like of theirs. don't even get me started on the loonies the loonies <laughs> you don't got five on it Oh my God! Have you, you seen us? Remember? Yeah, I know. I hate that. You didn't like that? No, because the song. But that that was so good. I fucking loved how they incorporated the I song. Hate, that song just because that's when I went to that show with, and I borrowed Joey's <laughs> pants. <laughs> that's why you hate them because you had to wear the pants. Not good. I love it. It's I love. I got good. five on it. No, that's like I don't. I know. love it. But then, I'm all know, about. Like, I got five on it. I don't think there's one. I don't think there's a song by the Loonies, a second song that I know by them. I know I got five on it and I love it, but it's also kind of like, I love it in the same sense that there's this one song and I never know who does it, but it's like summertime in the LBC. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, it's not good, but it's like catchy. Isn't that sublime? No, it's a, it's a hip hop song. Mm. It's like, it's like, it's like one of those ones where they're, they're just singing. It's like a hip hop group. Is it that's the singing. same sound of like what's her name does a version of the Sublime song? Uh, it's it's not the Sublime one you're talking about. But does it Sublime sound like is that? doing the 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 is that who whose song are they doing? That's like a standard, but it's yeah, standard. like everyone did that. Like it's Nina like a Porgy Simone and Bess. It. It's a Porgy and Bess standard, right? I don't know if it's from that musical, but it's the yeah the one but Sublime's like doing. Done that. No, this one's kind of like. It's kind of like got that like cookout vibe to it. It's mm. a it's a fucking like it was a big song and it came from that same camp that did Warren G mm-hmm. and all those guys. It was like one of those kind of Long Beach groups. Yeah. And when I first heard, it, I'm like, "Fuck, I hate this." But then like it would come on again and mm-hmm. again. And I'm it like, "Got you." Yeah, and it got me. And it's like, it's like kind of Will Smith summertime. That's 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 that. a good song. And, but when when but that's that sounds, just the sample. It's a sample. That's what makes it good. And he's trying to rhyme like Rock Him. He's mm-hmm. trying to sound like Rock Him, not like his other shit. Well, yeah, that was when he was like, all of a sudden you're serious? Yeah. But that was a good jam. It was but a good. That's because that cool in the gang sample. Yeah, it was cool in the gang. And it was pretty much like like that was kind of like a puffy where it's like it's just the whole song. Yeah. Like there's not it's not like when you know you listen to like bdp and it's just a sample like a real sample where it's just the hook yeah not just fucking rhyme over the whole fucking (laughs) song like that's like okay that's but but it worked it worked yeah it worked and it was a good song but it was like this will smith like i was like how is this will smith and that's why like songs like that like 
Because you could just listen to the Cool in the Gang song, and it's just the instrumental. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but you, there's certain hip-hop songs before that that you can't just go... Like, even, uh, what's it called? Um, the, uh, the song uh, De La that samples Peg. Um, samples Peg? Peg oh, by Steely Dan. Uh, like, what they did to yeah, that, yeah. it's like, it's cool because you're getting two songs. Because, yeah. like, I love Steely Dan, and I'll play Peg, and it makes me think of De La Soul. The De La song. And if I hear De La Soul, it'll make me think of Peg, but I want to listen to both of them. Now, with, like, yeah. the Will Smith, I'm like, I like the song, but because I know the sample, I don't ever have to listen to a Will Smith song. Yeah, you just listen to the real one. You know, because it even has the same hook. The yeah. same, the, the girls singing, it's the same. Yeah. It's like, man, you didn't even make your own hook for it? <laughs> I wonder who produced that. I think Jazzy Jeff. Oh, did you see? I think he produced all their shit. That Public Enemy got together with Prince Paul and they put out a new anti-Trump single. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard it I yet. I follow, uh, uh, what's his name? Well, I can't think of his name Chuck right now. Chuck D? Chuck D. Have you heard his podcast? Yeah. He did, a whole, one, he did a whole thing on The Clash. I heard it. It was it's really good. He's it was, actually a good podcaster. You know what? It was really good. And I remember... When we did our podcast about the clash, I compared them to Public Enemy, and then a few months later, he did the. He's the one who. Did, I was like, I was like, oh shit, this is crazy. Chuck D, I know you're listening. <laughs> I just want to say you're dope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Chuck D, his is, we know you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what? Never mind. Yeah, really. Oh. Um. No, but uh, I liked it. You know which one? This is this is not music related, but the other day I I listened to Conan O'Brien uh, podcast. It's pretty fucking funny. I didn't even know he had one. It's just is it stupid. Team Coco? It, it that has something to do with it. Oh. It's just dumb. It's funny though. He's, he's I like just him. I, you know what's funny? I never even think about him because um, I watched Trevor Noah like the ever since this pandemic has happened, all those night shows are are doing YouTube videos. Mm. Seth Seth Myers does um uh God, why don't I know all these motherfuckers' names? Because none of them have the fucking power that Stephen Colbert do. does one. I hate him. But Trevor Noah, I love his because he'll do like a serious one, like a dead serious one, and then he'll do like a comedy one. So it, it's like you kind of get both. And when like when Stephen Colbert or when Seth Meyers is talking about it, it just doesn't come across genuine because they're making fun and they're they're literally they're trying to be serious on some occasions. But the way that their their presentation of it, it's like they're jokey and it's like, yeah, the information is there, but like it seems way more genuine coming from Trevor. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like I have never I've never seen any of the Conan ones. I haven't seen him. I just listened to the There's podcast. a great Conan. I'm pretty sure it's Conan. He he goes driving around with Ice Cube and Kevin Hart trying to go buy weed and then they and then they take an Uber together. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. It's fucking hilarious. They have like this Japanese girl driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fucking rad. They're going through the neighborhood trying to buy weed. That's and funny. yeah, it's fucking it's so funny. I'm pretty sure it's Conan. White men with talk shows, man. Get some, do something where your personality is different. So I know your name. It's weird if you think about that. I mean, 
did didn't Wayne Brady have a show? But it was it a daytime show? Yeah, a talk show. Um, because really after, but like Wayne Brady after, might as well be a white man. After Arsenio Hall, and that show was on for a long time. It's almost like, like John Stewart was the closest, uh, um, replacement for Arsenio. In yeah. his late night show, just because of who he had on his, his show. late night show was dope, and it wasn't on that long, yeah. which is so weird. It's like to think, like, man, how come there's there, like there's no there's not going to be a new Arsenio? That was just it. Yeah. See, and you then know? what happened? That's when- kind of the like thinking about Arsenio Hall in talk show host is kind of like Obama in presidency. <laughs> it's like we're probably not going to see another black president or a president of color for fucking years forever now like it was just like oh we got johnny carson and david letterman here's arsenio hall for a few for a few seasons and then we're gonna we're gonna get back to business yeah you know so you guys could just well that's what kind of like john stewart he had that different platform and then he went to the daily show and then he turned into something i still i still like him yeah but then he turned in he he recreated that mold which created stephen colbert and now but because Trevor Noah's there now, and he's not American. He's South African. Mm-hmm. So he adds a whole different, like, kind yeah. of, like, semi-Arsenio flavor to it. But yeah. it's it's more done at the desk. It's it's done in a news form instead of the old way that, like, yeah, yeah. the Arsenio form. It's, which, like a, it's like you're watching CNN, yeah, but it's, it's comedy. It's comedy, but it's also got fact, Informative, yeah. factual well, fucking like, stuff. It's like the, the all of the... All of the, um, what is it called? The monologues. Mm. Even back to Johnny Carson, that's when all the political stuff yeah. got out. You know, basically when they this when what they was had happening their, at the time when they had their interviews, they weren't necessarily always politically charged, yeah. but their monologues were always had some political like commentary come out because they had to. Like you know, how can you not? You're on fucking five nights a week. You know, you are kind of the news um it's kind of funny too because like the beginnings of this group was antithetical to what they were even doing or what what how they were just breaking into a all ethnic group of people that were putting this music out it's like here's these three white guys and i don't want to say they were appropriating the culture because they you know they genuinely did it I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't like to use that word. Like, that word gets thrown around so much right now. But they came out and they realized how wrong they were for being, for playing this caricature of themselves. You know, I don't even know if it was of themselves. Well, they but ma- they didn't realize that they were gaining fans that thought that that's who they really were. They were making fun of people or they were making fun of a certain group of people and then when they realized that those were their fans <laughs> and they were like, but we, but then they started living that way. Yeah. It got to the point where it be, the parody became a parody of itself. Well, I've seen them in interviews where they, they made fun of themselves for that, where they're, they're yeah. they were asking each other, like after they'd been doing it, probably this is probably when they got to Paul's boutique. Cause they're wearing, you know, sneakers and they're, they're wearing, uh, you know, track suits and getting a little bit more like hip to the culture. And then they were like 
man, we're kind of turning into this. Are we this? Like, yeah, you know, they had to ask themselves that, which is funny um, because you don't really see that anywhere else where like contextually jazz artists wore suits, not so much because that was the gold standard, but also because it was like it was in defiance of like, oh, so you think that I am nothing. I'm going to show you that I am above this mm. and I am going to fucking wear the same attire. And that carried on through fucking Motown. Like Barry Gordy ran his fucking label where he had people teach etiquette to right. all of his artists. Like, like I remember reading a thing about uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes when they went to England and they met with the Beatles and they were just astonished where they were like, the Beatles were acting like fucking fools. They're fucking smoking weed and they're, they're acting in all the ways that everyone thinks Expected we are going to be. to act, yeah. And they were sitting there being proper and being well-mannered. That's because Barry Gordy taught them and had them go to school. Not Like, you're not just going to be on my label and put out records and go out on tour. You're representing my label. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, so I don't think that there's ever been a time where you have black culture like trying to mimic white culture and feeling weird or guilty about it because they never had to, mm. you know, but for the beastie boys being like, well, are we frauds? Are we, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and sometimes I would get a little like, like down where I'm just like, you know, like fuck them. Like they're, they're, they basically just came in and, and usurped something, but they didn't, they actually helped the whole movement. And I think that they like are, integral into you know propelling it to the heights that it achieved i think yeah um, i think that and i also think that by the time we get to check your head it's like it's like uh license to ill is what, what, what brought him here paul's boutique was like them interjecting themselves into it with a little bit of help from like how they started like kind of like they kind of just fell into a mold mm -hmm. that they were, they allowed themselves to be a mold in the first record. In the second record, they started to interject more of who they actually were, their personality. By the time we get to the third record, it's just them. This is just who they are, what they've learned. You know, they've, they've kind of like broken off from that, that, you know, hold that they had on them from Russell Simmons and the Def Jam label and all that stuff. And they're like, they got their own studio. They took the money, got their own studio, you know, lived. I don't, I don't know if they lost money or lost all their big money, but they ended up, you know, buying a house kind of a thing here mm -hmm. and able, and we're able to just be like, you know what? We just want to like live, eat and work this record. And then they did. And it's like, now you have, that who they actually you know this is who the band really is this is who these three guys really are and, and they start to they start to go away start to move away from that frat boy identity into like more they you know you start to realize like oh these guys are actual thinkers and like mca started getting really involved in that whole like the tibetan uh, movement and he started that whole uh, free Tibet campaign and did that whole concert for them mm -hmm. and started to like get into like women's rights and and stuff like that this culture is completely antithetical to women's rights like mm -hmm. even now there's still songs happening now that put women down 
And some of those songs are by women. <laughs> it's like you have this, you know, this like very, very misogynistic culture in this, you know, group of music. And then these guys have now they've they've used it to get in and now they're using it to branch away from that stereotype and they're still putting out quality music you know by the time they get to the record after this the the was that that's the ill communication right yeah that's a good record too yeah i think that record's better than check your head but check your head's such a pivotal like you know um like they just kept progressing yeah i think i think that I think their peak is. Uh, I think Ill Communication, Communication is a better record because it's it's kind of like they learned from from Check Your Head, and then they took the best parts of Paul's Boutique and the best parts of Check Your Head, and they even sprinkled some of their first records like formulas into mm-hmm. to Ill Communication, and then that's like their their strongest record. It's almost too like if. If Paul's Boutique didn't have the backlash that it did, they probably couldn't have... They, I don't think it would have been possible for them to make a record like Check Your Head. Hmm. They would have taken just a completely different direction. And I think they had already shaken off a lot of that frat boy, whatever. They definitely get... They, they like hone their skill set on Paul's Boutique where they're rapping and rhyming in a different way. And that's also because they have the Dust Brothers that gave them this fucking mosaic to go over which was just so complex and so challenging and it's like i think the the average listener back then just couldn't they couldn't grasp it because they had no like you know and this is before three feet high and rising paul's boutique is such an important record that three feet high and rising would have never have had the chance to become what it was and make that fucking just be that pillar if it didn't have an album like paul's boutique because there was nothing ha- happening like that, you know? And then, um, what was I going to say? Uh, well, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about, so we are like talking about them feeling whether if they're fraudulent or doing, you know, what they're doing uh, in hip hop. If you think about like pop music and you can go back and there's like direct like just um, discrimination with almost every genre you could think of where it's black people that created this and it does not get passed through the channels until it gets a fucking white face on it. Mm. You know, you go to jazz. Jazz music is a brand new music that was born in this country with instruments that were not designed to sound like that ever. They were supposed to be played in orchestras and symphonies. These are instruments that have no context. Fucking, if if someone in the fucking 17th century heard Lee Morgan playing the trumpet, they would be like, "What? why is your <laughs> instrument different than mine? What are you doing? Yeah. And you're talking about a people that just... At, over time got their hands on these instruments and created their own language out of nothing but you fast forward a few years to the turn of the 20th century and now you've got white big bands because people were not you could only see a colored band in the savoy or the onyx or the co- you know cotton club uh, but they so then they had to get there but the music was undeniable 
And that was the fucking popular music of the time was swing. But who were the bands that were making the money was Glenn Miller Orchestra, the Benny Goodman Orchestra, Tommy Dorsey, Artie Shaw. It wasn't fucking uh, Count Basie and Duke Ellington and fucking Lionel Hampton and Chick Webb. So what did they do? They said, you know what? Fuck y'all then. And they started bebop. But you know what? The thing that I just find so interesting, and then the same thing happens again with rock and roll. You've got fucking Chuck Berry. You've got Ike Turner. You got Bo Diddley. You got Little Richard. Um, Bill Haley. Uh, fucking Elvis Presley. Like all the bands that p- covered their songs, even the Beatles. None of them could do it better than the original. But you're not going to have a fucking Black Beatles. You're not going to have fucking uh, Ike Turner be as big as as, uh, as uh, Elvis Presley because that was not going to be sold. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Even with electronic music and what was happening in Detroit and Chicago, that had to go overseas to come back in the form of like Depeche Mode and New Order and all these groups. So it's like almost every single genre you have black artists that do it better and they've never been able to do it better than them they've never been able to take it away same thing with hip-hop hip-hop you have the beastie boys and you've got hip-hop and that's for i know a lot of people like him i just i do not understand it and i will fucking i i hate him but eminem i do not know i do not understand why he gets any kind of credibility um, because the Beastie Boys, you hear them in interviews, and yeah, when they're on stage and they're fucking making their records, they're talking with some slang and this, that, and the other, but they have enough respect where when they're just speaking as human beings, I never heard MCA try to talk like, yeah, brother, this. Eminem is like, are you fucking kidding me? I don't care where he grew up. I don't care what, but he gets this fucking hall pass. And it's like, why? He's not even f- I don't know. Whatever. I don't want to. I'm just getting so upset. But basically what I'm trying to say is (laughs) no one's been able to fucking make better hip hop. No one's been able to make better jazz. Do you know what's funny? And it probably in some way it might be even sacrilege to say, but I'm using them as an example because the first record, the the license to ill is based on the first run DMC record. Mm -hmm. Beastie Boys surpassed run DMC. Well, of course, they, but like, they weren't better than Run DMC. No, no, they weren't better than Run DMC. But Run DMC is a one-trick pony. Mm-hmm. They can only do what they did on the first couple records. Then they got to that whole down with the king, down with the king bullshit, and maybe that's what their their fall was. But Run DMC, I don't think they can play instruments. I don't think they can put out an instrumental record. Yeah, and I don't think that Run DMC would have the ability to do um, a King of Rock type song and then do a, a like, like uh, what do you call it? Uh, I'm trying to think of that. that like a Groove Holmes mm-hmm. and then do... Like go back and do like a sure shot and then do a fucking intergalactic. It's like it's like it's as far as I'm concerned, the Beastie Boys talent wise surpassed Run DMC. And it's and it's probably sacrilege to say because their foundation was Run DMC. I don't necessarily think that it would be sacrilege, but you have to understand the capacities that Run DMC had a glass ceiling. You know? Now 
Run DMC was touring, they were the first hip hop act that anyone even like, you know, yeah, Curtis Blow was fucking big and Grandmaster Flash, but Run DMC is like the Elvis Presley for like Public Enemy, Stetsis, like all the bands that came after, you know, because they're the ones that were touring and doing all these things. Now, mind you, in the 80s, the 80s was not like the fucking 40s and 50s. Like, you know what the Chitlin circuit is. Yeah. So imagine if you're talking about talent, you're talking about um, what the capabilities of, say, a white artist in the 40s and 50s that was, you know, even like a, like a Woody Guthrie. I know he goes probably a little bit before that. But, or Bob Dylan. Let's just say Bob Dylan. Right. So Bob Dylan turns into this prolific artist, and he he gets to like reach these heights and he makes so many albums you know you could say that oh well chuck berry was a one trick pony because he only played one song and he did his duck walk this that and the other but one thing that bob dylan never had to experience in those years of touring was dealing with the pressures of segregation he could write about whatever the fuck he wants now maybe bo diddley was tired of fucking uh, coming up with a new way to figure out the Bo Diddley beat because him touring was like, hey, yeah, everyone loved you tonight, Bo, but now you have to go to your fucking hotel across the street and sleep in a fucking a rat's nest and you get to eat not what everyone else... Like, imagine what that's doing to them and their, their, artist, their artistic output. So you fast forward to the 80s, not saying that it was whites and coloreds only, but that stigma never has still hasn't died. So a Run DMC definitely has a cap on what they're gonna be able to do. You know, it's like that they even did something to begin with and fought all those feats was like enough. Where it's just like shit. Imagine if they didn't have any of those capabilities. Maybe they could have learned instruments. Maybe they. Could, I mean, the whole reason hip hop is an art form in the sense of fucking two turntables and a microphone is because those kids didn't have fucking instruments to begin with. Yeah. So, and even though the Beastie Boys probably come from, uh, I'm assuming, meager uh, uh, upbringings. Um, oh, I had it backwards the whole time. Oh. Um, even though they had like, they probably weren't necessarily well off, but it's like, they still have the fucking, the, the, they can no, go no, wherever it was, they want. It was, they I'm, they I'm have not, privilege. There was they have definitely privilege. a privilege. They definitely had an, advan- an advantage and a privilege. But in just the context of like historical hip-hop, most people, I mean, most people just, they, they reach the point where they just can't do anything more. And all, even though we would say they're all like the the greats of like, I don't see KRS doing any more records. I don't see Rakim doing any more records. I don't see, you know, any of those people who pioneered this, this art craft doing any more records. I'm saying these guys came out at the same time. And even though they, and I don't want to use the word they stole, but the blueprint for them was given to them because of run dmc like yeah. they literally they ex- took they expanded it run dmc's like syncopation of rhyming mm-hmm. and all that and then and then but then 
Run DMC just that was it. They just stopped. But again, though, think about what I said. Yeah, no, I'm for saying the Beastie Boys. I, yeah. It was unlimited. And again, like I was saying, but, I, but what I, they fucking started their own record label. How long did it take for but the I first hip hop artist? But to I was start saying it in terms of why you value them versus not valuing Eminem. Like Eminem doesn't do anything better. Then. And because Eminem didn't do anything for hip-hop, Beastie but, Boys did. Right, but people love Eminem. I know, and I don't I get mean, it. I mean, lo- there's fucking hip-hop and I don't get MCs it. that love him. I know, I don't and understand it. It's like, I'm not, I don't write rhymes. I don't fucking know. Maybe it's something to do with the craft. Maybe it's something. I've never listened to Eminem and thought, wow, this guy's fucking great. I've never bought one of his records. I've never listened to a whole album of his. I've only heard the songs that come on the radio. And I have the same opinion of him that I've had since he began. It's just, he's a fraud. He is a punk bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a punk bitch i don't i don't even i don't know how anybody can even defend that he's not um but i don't want to turn this into a i hate eminem session because there's nothing that just gives him like yeah not to give him airtime but yeah do you remember when he tried to call out and fight Moby at that one? Like, are you kidding? Moby? Moby. Yeah, he, he was, tried to fight he Moby. He tried to call him out at the Grammys or something and was all pissed off. That's like me calling out a fucking kindergartner. That's like fucking kicking a cat. Or a, no, that's like kicking a lamb. Because <laughs> a cat can scratch you. <laughs> fucking but you're Mo- kicking it. Moby. And it's like, I, and then in his fake ass, like, uh, and that's what I mean. It's like just the like I would yeah. be offended. I'm offended, and I'm not even black. Yeah. But it's like, oh, so whatever. So uh, I don't even like Moby, but I'd stick up for Moby. Fuck Moby too. But that's <laughs> just because his bullshit restaurant. Like he left all his workers. Uh, he he fucking just basically closed his. What's restaurant. that? Little tree. Little pine. Little pine. He closed it and didn't Little give pine. anybody that worked for him nothing. It's like that's bullshit. But anyways. Uh-huh. I don't think that the Beastie Boys are a fraud at all. Um, no, I'm saying they proved themselves but they, that they weren't a fraud. You know what they're like, though? They're like they're like the Dave Chappelle of black comedians. Because like Dave Chappelle is definitely black. Um, he cannot be black. He definitely is very racially charged in his delivery of his you know his comedy but you look at his audience it's not like another black it's not he's not like another black comedian mm. you know you see another black comedian like when like it's all black people in there you know what i mean he's like the safe one he's like the beastie boys in hip hop yeah. like beastie boys yeah they would when they played the hollywood bowl i'm sure that there was probably a very small percentage of black people there it was mostly white and that's how it's always been you know um, yeah but they get that credibility where you know i don't think that you're gonna find too many hip-hop heads that are you know yeah they'll probably have the beastie boys albums at least you know the ones in the middle on their fucking racks but they're not probably you know but basically when we used to go to hip-hop clubs and they would spin classics and they would spin 
the fucking the singles of the day because that was when shit was happening you know yeah. in the 90s that was like the second golden era of hip-hop nobody was spinning beastie boys don't matter how classic they were that's what you hear at like a white rock and roll club that's like yeah we're gonna get a little funky you guys we're gonna play some hip-hop and then they're gonna play the beastie boys then you know what I mean? But like we go to Chocolate Bar. Remember we used to go to the, the what root was down? the one at the room? Was that the Root Town? The Root Town. Um, you never heard the fucking No, the room boys. was just the, it was just the room. Like, wasn't it a club? No. Oh. It was just a specific night. Yeah. But it was cool. Yeah. But it was like, they weren't playing no Beastie Boys at fucking hip hop clubs. I would, I would say. And shows, in between shows. I would say DJs? like when you got. To the ain't playing no Beastie Boys. When you go to the root down and like a uh, Z Trip would show up, he would play the Beastie Boys. But Z Trip was a different monster. No, but and I'm saying it's about... the same crowd. It it wouldn't it wouldn't offend that crowd. Well, yeah, but that's when it was changing. I mean, even yeah. that, even when we were going to those clubs, not just shows, but clubs. Once you saw like, uh, you know, that was when like before the Black Eyed Peas lost their goddamn minds and turned <laughs> into like Oprah's favorite band. When they, you know, mm. they actually put out a, a hip hop album or at least a single, and then it turned into fucking like they turned into like an ice cream truck. Like they turned, into, they turned what, into Katy Perry. I don't even know what that is. You know, <laughs> <An> ice cream. <laughs> they turned into an ice cream. It was truck. like, what is this? They turned into whatever that teenage girl store is. That's not hot topic, but what that other one. What's it called? Know. What, like H&M? No. Or Forever was, 21? No, it was before Forever 21 and before H&M. They're like a fucking popsicle. There was this one store that was like the teeny bopper girls. That was their... Wet Seal? No, it was like their version of Hot Topic. It was like it had CD. Kind of like they turned into Urban Outfitters. Uh, kind of like on Urban Outfitters. It's like you can buy a pillow. You can buy a fucking cat print shirt. You can buy a fucking album of you know the Katy perry's latest record you can yeah. buy a book or a magazine and it's there was a store like that in the mall and that's what the black eyed peas turned into it's like they just they just lost their like you said they lost their goddamn minds but, but it was like with the z trip and like you know like that shit changed you know yeah i like i like z trip because i like i liked how he took like what hip-hop was doing in the first place they were using metal samples and like you know or hardcore hard rock samples and he just was like well i'm gonna incorporate that into my dj set so i'm gonna do nirvana smells like teen spirit with ll cool j you know what i mean like he just did a he he approached it the way it was approached in the beginning yeah and kind of from that camp too you got mix master mike who's on ill communication yeah like that's that, that whole same you know even like i'd i'd say that uh What's his name? The DJ from Jurassic 5. Chemist. I think even he was a little different. He was a little more black, if you will, in the way that he, his approach of, like, because he, he... Well, was, he was just more pure. Yeah, but I mean, and you saw that, that documentary about the good life where it's like oh, he yeah. got shit for it. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I respect about someone like a cut chemist, too, is he is a fucking one of the best hip-hop DJs around... But even like Qbert, Qbert was great too. Definitely a different. He was just all about the technical. technique. But like Qbert, because Filipino has 
very deep roots in hip hop. I mean, we saw that because of where we lived. That's mm-hmm. where some of those people were coming from, from Cerritos, which is so weird. The, the beat junkies are from Cerritos. There's a rich musical culture in that little tight, yeah. quiet town that we came from, which is so strange. Um, and it's because of that diversity, yeah. you know, but like Qbert, you know, I remember when we watched his videos, like he wore his hat sideways and he kind of dressed like Filipino version of hip hop. Yeah. But Cut Chemist, he just still looked like a little nerd that's at the he library. Like a substitute teacher. He looked like he was <laughs> fucking with his backpack. He looked like he was just waiting to get picked up by his mom. Yeah. Never changed. Like he wasn't like, oh, now I'm going to fucking wear, you know, this nope. or that. And that's what I respect. And that's why there's like, you know, it's because for him, it's just about the love of the music. Yeah. And he, he was the, he was like the blueprint for that whole, like the breakestra and that whole culture of like, not just, we don't just want to know the, the main stuff that gets sampled. We want to know that whole culture of that whole musical genre that, that took from this like seventies lost funk, seventies lost funk and soul. Like that, I was, Talk about that one documentary on time. There's like the Seattle documentary where they just, just they unearthed oh, the Weedle's Groove. Weedle's Groove. And it's mm-hmm. like, no one's ever heard that music. No mm-hmm. one's ever heard those songs because it was a lost, like it's weird. It's like Stax Records was huge. How come this movement didn't get noticed? And mm-hmm. so like, that's well, the what network I wasn't the infrastructure for the network wasn't there back then, especially you're right. talking about black artists. Right. And so like, that's what I think. That's what I attribute to people like Cut and DJ Shadow and like those kinds of DJs. It was like they had the technical stuff down, but they also had this like they also the stuff that they selected to play was really thought out. Like they really, really like had this like their finger on the pulse of like what if if uh, Master Ace sampled something in his record they wouldn't play this like the their normal thing would be to play that sample they would go even deeper and find something in that catalog from the same band that mass day sampled Mm -hmm. so then you're like really getting the authenticity of like there's more to it than just what this guy sampled and made a big hit but they were also focusing on the the underground hip-hop artists they weren't doing what biggie was doing or well, what yeah. tupac was doing they were doing what well, they're archaeologists yeah and they were and and it's and like there was this whole they always i always use that term i mean, I never understood it but that whole backpacker mc movement the lyricist lounge and like most deaf and and talib Kweli came out of that kind of stuff and like they were like the biggest group to come out of that style you know what i mean mm-hmm. and like and like even they and even when you listen to their big hits, it still had like music that you would have never heard mm-hmm. that they sampled. You would have never, you know, you would have never got that, that heard that track because it's so deep into this catalog. And that's what these guys were doing. And a little bit of what what check your head was doing was was laying the groundwork for some of that stuff especially on this coast mm-hmm. especially in california on the west coast you know well by the time it got there too like with you know all these djs you're talking about what another big one was j-rock i remember when which i wish we still had them but remember when you got all those mixtapes like those mixtapes mm-hmm. were like 
fucking gold. Yeah. Like, they were just so well crafted and like just I remember I remember I had the J Rock tape. I think it was one side was like J Rock and the other side was like DJ Havoc. And there was this one tour, like a long tour that I went on. And back then, I mean, I was playing in a punk rock band. We were playing like punk rock that like even people that liked punk rock would be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Because it was all mathy and it was just, it was, it was just a completely different uh, field of music. But at that certain time when all that good hip hop was coming, that's all I was listening to. I was listening to like drum and bass um, and hip hop and playing in a punk band. And I remember this certain tour every time I was driving or when like people were bored of like the radio, I would put this tape on and here we are, you know, Oscar and Mark and Billy and myself were driving, you know, in the middle of the deep South, fucking listening to like uh, a J rock mixtape. And I remember because on this certain one, it had, and this was the one, this was the best fucking mixtape I've ever heard in my life, still to this day, which, mind you, I don't listen to mixtapes anymore, but it was a J-Rock tape, and it was the one where it had, like, um, it had Gangstar, uh, Take Two and Pass from, uh, I think, Hard to Earn, and uh, it had the fucking original sample from the fucking song on the Freestyle, Fel- Freestyle Fellowship's first album, um, I forget the name of the song, but it's just this dope. It's like it almost sounds like Mahavishnu Orchestra or something. Mm. It's just some way out fucking um, prog rock, and it starts out with that, and then it turns into the sample, and you're just like, oh shit, that's where that sample's from. And then it has a Showbiz and AG. Um, I like my pockets fat, not flat. And yeah. I remember like, you know, we're touring and like that tape almost unified us even we were like we hated each other and i remember like oscar would be like i like my pockets fat not flat (laughs) it's like you're talking about people like other than mark billy and oscar had nothing to do with hip-hop yeah they just but it's like mark did a little mark got into it other than mark oh oh, oh, yeah yeah. mark used to fucking bump in the eye rock yeah mark fucked with that shit um but it was funny like those tapes were just like yeah, I remember Gold. having like, because I had them, because uh, I found out who these guys were because Babu worked at Fat Beats on, on Vermont and, and didn't even realize who I was speaking to. The other, the other guys that were working there was all beat junkies. Mm-hmm. It was Melody, J Rock, Icy Ice, uh, Have, no, Havoc didn't work there. Um, God, what's the other guy's name? He's a little tiny Filipino guy. But anyway, I started to find out. And then, and then I found out they're, they, they went to Cerritos High. And then a buddy, a guy who I grew up with. Curse? Ross. Well, Curse was, was who John Lean grew up with. But mm-hmm. I met Curse because of John and Cindy. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, when I was like at a party... Ross was there and I'm like, oh yeah, Ross, um, you used to DJ. He's like, I'm in the beat junkies now. And he was like, we, cause they were called public image because mm-hmm. Ross was, he was DJ what? And he was my homie That's back in the day. And when we go to house parties, he, he was a DJ, but their group was called public image. I didn't know that curse was in that same 
old group public image that turned into the beastie uh to the beat beat junkies and cindy actually had a a baby shower there was like a girl's baby shower in the daytime and a nighttime baby shower party for everybody and it was ross it was dj what dj curse djing and i was like oh shit and then remember they started working at sam goody or sam ash Mm. curse Oh yeah, yeah. Curse worked at at Sam Ash because well, that's when they had a uh, the DJ section. Yeah, yeah, and they had like the turntables and the the mm-hmm. whole pro audio section, whatever. But <clears throat> then I was this like, oh shit, last. you guys all fucking. I was like, you guys are the, and they're like, oh yeah, and this is Melody. He went to Strito's High, and then that was like one of John Lean's home homies. And the first tape that they gave me was Melody's tape, mm. and then I started getting like I got the J Rock tape, I got the the Babu tape and then Havoc was homies with, with Chris Mendoza. They mm. went to Cerritos college together and Havoc made me or gave me one of his tapes, but he was like a guy who I knew from, from Cerritos college. And I didn't know, even know that he was into, you know, that he was one of those DJ guys. Yeah. Um, but it was just so funny cause they were all so fucking chill. Didn't they play <laughs> at Gar public image? Yeah. And didn't, was it Tommy Gunn? Who was the Tommy MC? Gunn was our MC. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy Gunn. Because he used to be, I think he's, I want to say he married her. But remember Nora? Barely. Nora. Alvarez? Alvarez. I think they mm-hmm. ended up getting married and having kids together. But that, yeah. And, and that, then remember when they, the, they opened up the general store. Yeah. They had yeah. like two locations before it That was out. the, the, what do you call it? Brothers. Um, Quarles, the Quarles brothers, and Sean Quarles, Sean Quarles, I Joey Quarles, he used to be in there. and then my homie Antonio worked there, and mm. then Doug, Doug Dill- Dillinger, Doug. Yeah, he was part. He was part I of that. Remember, he went to Gar. Yeah, I went to school with them. He was. They were. I think he was Cindy's grade. Yeah. Um. But uh, no, I remember that too. I remember what's his name Sway used to be in there all the time. Yeah, at the one on on our, when they moved to the, the bigger when they put store, the bigger the two and they had like turntables. Yeah, in there. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think at their peak, that's when they were they had their little clubs in these like Mexican restaurants. Remember that was that yeah. one that was like in La Palma. Yeah. And then there was one right on, on um, Pioneer. Right on Pioneer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never went to that one. But I remember that that's when I was going to Cerritos College. That was in like 95, 96. And there was a lot of good. That was and also like right before I got into that scene, when I got into like the Northern Soul scene, flyers for clubs were just awesome like they, the artwork on them and they were always like a quarter well, you know, sheet glossy cut you know outs, that's what double-sided the general store guys that's what put them on the map was they were a company who printed those yeah they made those little but they were good they, they were the, like those cardboard flyers they were the artwork was awesome like you wanted and to they were like them. glossy and colorful and stuff double-sided. like that and so they started a printing business and then they ended up opening the general store then they ended up starting a clothesline mm-hmm. and i think i think even up until la- they might still have the clothesline but even up until last Antonio year Mixwell or what was Mixwell? The- mm. yeah they still had Mixwell products available like uh through a web store mm-hmm. so they were still doing that yeah yeah that was the that was the fucking that was the like last the of the good old days that was the peak <laughs> and then there was like 
because yeah back back then it was it was like raucous records you had uh what was the label that put out like the other stuff on the east coast like um what's his name from organized confusion like feral munch uh well, that was raucous but there was another big label there was because remember there was like the boot camp click there was all these like like kind of kind of like the wu-tang it was like their underground um and then uh, what was Company Flow on? Rockus. That was another big. That was all Rockus. Was it? I th- well, I'm missing one label. There was another. It was like Rockus, and there was another one that was like like those were the two. Hmm. Um. And then, uh, you know, then Jay Z ruined everything. Uh, <laughs> but um, now getting back to check your head. It was a co. It wasn't just Jay Z, it was Jay Z and Puffy. Well, and Master P. But Master P, I don't know if he ruined everything. He, and that just, was, he just cashed in. That was kind of before that, because I was working at the warehouse when yeah. Master P was hitting. And I remember like Mystical and uh, just those re- even Little the Wayne. records looked like crap. It was like the artwork was awful, yeah. the fucking music was god awful. But I respect how he did it. He just started from selling tapes out of his fucking trunk and turned it into this empire. Man, he made a movie. I got the hookup. <laughs> that wasn't the worst. I watched it. I was like, I am going to watch this movie. It was That movie fucking makes fucking Rumblefish garbage. Like, but it's... I no, give but then him, he did it. Yeah, But I got to awesome. give him the credit. He did it. Did it. Made a fucking crappy ass movie. What was the name of his label? Not no limit. No limit. And then they had a tank. There was a limit to it because <laughs> I don't think it's. Excuse me. I think it's. Excuse me. P. Not <laughs> is it masters of just P. We're there is a label. goddamn. You reached that limit, motherfucker. His new label is called Maxed Out. <laughs> no limit. And the movie, limit. it's just him doing his taxes. <laughs> it's him and MC Hammer. It's a sleeper. Oh. It's you gotta you gotta follow it. There was a limit. <laughs> oh shit. Uh speaking of labels, your but your fucking buddies were on the Beastie Boy label. Cause I remember Mike D. I went to a show. I went to uh at the drive in show at the Troubadour and Mike D was there. He was I there. Think that's right when they're recording them. Yeah, they but they were but, on their label. And that's Cause that's when Grand Royale went out too, though. It was their like it, it was, turned into they signed else. them, and then shortly after that they they folded. Remember they had a magazine too for a hot minute. Yeah, I wanted. I wish I had it. It's Lee Scratch Perry was on the cover. They had that um, thing's worth so much money right now. They had, uh, and I don't think they grew too fast. I think it was just the whole industry. Everything was just blowing up. And oh, this yeah. is all like. Like the internet existed, but it was really primitive. Yeah, it was I mean, fucking, you were still waiting fucking an hour. Up. You were still waiting an hour to download a crappy ass fucking. You had a modem. MP3. You had a modem. Remember that? Like I like. Oh yeah, I'm gonna download a song. I'll see you in two days. <laughs> Straight fucking hour, and then when you listen to it, it sounded like it was recorded in the bathroom <laughs> under like a, fucking water. I'm like. Yep. The fuck? This ain't gonna take over no bullshit. This is some bullshit. And then it got 
better and better and better. And then LimeWire came out and just blew the world to parts, man. And now what is LimeWire? That's what's so crazy how fast. Well, LimeWire is now Spotify, if you think about it. Yeah. It's it's literally what it is. It's like, oh, and I pay for Spotify. Like, I'm not I'm not above paying for it because. Well, yeah, if, but it's affordable too, though. For yeah, like if get. I'm going to pay 15 bucks a month and both my kids and one of my kids' friends is on my plan, don't listen to Spotify. Uh, wait, this oh, is yeah. on Spotify. There we go. <laughs> Just fucking, there goes our sponsorship. Self-incrimination chap, it's been on nice. the platform. God damn it. Anyway. No one's um, even gonna listen to it. Chuck D's gonna call Chuck us D. out. He's gonna fucking. He's like, what am I gonna do next? Chuck D's gonna, gonna to call us out on and these. <laughs> we're gonna get tattled on by Chuck. I'm um, trying to give you no, props, Chuck. I'm call him Charles. I told him. I told everybody. Oh, <laughs> it's just Chuck D listening. I told everybody. I told everybody to listen to your new. What song. What would you do if you found out Chuck D actually listened? He probably if he did, then hey, come be on our show. We got room. Yeah, where do you live, Chuck D? You can come and hang out. Well, we'll wait for his next episode. I'll even wear a Pittsburgh Steelers hat. (laughs) No, it's a Pirates. Sorry, I'll wear a Pittsburgh Pirates hat. Um, but no, it's it's the value. Like I'm never gonna devalue music, so. I see value in spending that 15 bucks a month because if I had to buy every CD that I listen to, it would be like 500 bucks a month minimum. And I'm still, I, I, not only do I pay for Spotify, I still buy records. Like I'm still spending my money on this craft. Like I see the value in spending money. Like I don't see the value in robbing people and downloading shit for free, you know, it, it seemed like a cool thing to do because you, 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 you still own those records and those CDs. It just seemed like, it seemed like a, a, a computer jukebox. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I want to listen to this song right now. And like, I don't have to buy this CD, just to listen to this one. So it didn't seem like I was like creating a library and avoiding buying the music. But mm-hmm. that is what people were doing. Yeah. But for my personal you know i mean look at you you look at all my records that are right there like i spent money on all that shit i spent money on the fucking you know and i still pay for for streaming stuff and i'm i got like four records well you still buy records and i still buy records yeah Yeah, it's like that's the difference it's like if i buy a record and i'm gonna stream it in the car even though i'm i already own that record like i i love the convenience of that Mm -hmm. and you know or listening to it on my on my home system or whatever, but if I see somebody's gonna come out with this like you know deluxe edition version of a of an older record like Vinyl Me Please puts shit out like that like that's how I got that Daylight record, um and like they they reissue these these Capital catalogs so there's some Beastie Boy records that are out right now that are you know like twenty five bucks and they're you know multiple pieces of vinyl the artwork is original but it's like done in a nice package it's like it's worth it it's worth it to me to pay that money because even though i already know that album i've already sat with it i've listened to it a million times it's like i still value what they did just like i value what a jazz artist would do or something you Mm -hmm. know like there's something about having that thing 
in your home and being able to put it on and like you you also have it's also like this psychological thing like if i'm gonna take a record off the shelf pull it out of its sleeve put it on the platter and then put the needle in it, and i'm gonna sit down and just listen to it it's a different psychological thing than just streaming it out of convenience well of course <laughs> and yeah, i still it- appreciate that Sometimes you could sit there. It's like if it's like when you sit down and like uh, I mean we talked about this when you go into a video store. It was finite. They only had if they had a thousand movies in there, thousand different choices, and you wanted a thousand and one, you're gonna have to go to another store, right? Um, so the the thing about like say you're on Netflix, you know, sometimes you can spend fucking half an hour just trying to figure out what the fuck you're gonna watch because there's so oh, yeah. many options. Just like with Spotify, even if a song's only three minutes, you might even just be like skip, skip, skip. You know, it's like imagine like, you know, we used to DJ out in public and sometimes, you know, you're you're getting into it and you're 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 digging it and you're doing good and everyone's fucking feeling it. And then say you put a song on and you just feel the mood change in an unfavorable way, you start getting nervous like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. But it's like, and it seems like forever, even if it's a three-minute yeah. song, it's like, you know what? Can you just just handle it? It's only three minutes. Yeah. You know, and people, you know, they can't even DJ on their Spotify's because they're just like, I want something else, something else, something. It's because you don't have to do that. Right, right, the right. The thing right. that I'm afraid, though, which... There's still, you know, and I'm still an active participant in making, creating art through music is when I see records, it's like, even if you have the cover artwork on, you know, Spotify, you don't have to physically put out an album anymore, but it still has the album context where it still is a square on Spotify. It still looks like, it's almost like, you know, like when, you know, email. The symbol for email is a little envelope. It's not an envelope anymore. But yeah. why do we still think yeah. that? It's Contextualize because, it. Yeah, and it's a pencil. It's not a fucking pencil. It's a keyboard. Yeah. So it's still a little square that looks like an LP cover. Yeah. But the thing is, is there's such a difference when you are holding a fucking a 12-inch record cover. It's a piece of artwork. Some, th- some thought went into making it and then you get into is it fucking you know who the manufactured there's some some covers that look like shit because they just did it cheaply but the ones that are like you get an old like um impulse that's the first that was i was thinking prestige but i was thinking i wanted to say impulse those covers that label is worth collecting even if you don't know those even if you never play them it's gorgeous you know and all those impulse record record Jackets are just beautiful and they're quality, like something different about the cardboard. It's they just, still, still stand up. It's still cardboard. They still stand but up. But there's though. like, if you're already cheaping out and you're putting shit out in cardboard, get the best cardboard. <laughs> and that's, that was film. That was negative. Yeah. That was a printing press. And it's like, that's the thing that I'm like, I hope that never dies because that's a big aspect to the culture of music. There was a art, was you know, other, is it pressed? Not presto prestige prestige. It that's has, it looks like a little, it looks like a little like that's balloon animal miles Davis stuff. On. But their, their logo looks like a little balloon. Like it's, it's like a it might, I don't know. stick figure kind of a thing. I don't remember. They make some cool, 
good good jackets. Yeah, blue note too. I mean, come well, on. Well, yeah, blue notes. Well, blue notes. I like the way they. The That's picture. aesthetics. That's aesthetic. Aesthetic of I like the blue note aesthetic. I yeah. love the way that the jacket. Like a lot of people copied a lot of hip hop and rock and roll. Everybody copied the blue note aesthetic. Mm-hmm. and and it was like oh yeah that's fucking dope because it's cla- it's just it's gorgeous and yeah. it's like it's it's fucking that is fucking high Ooh. art you know it's like when you sit there and you look at design like that stuff it's some of the best artwork yeah i mean you're putting out something and like you're gonna chintz on getting the the thinnest shittiest fucking piece of cardboard like what are you what are you telling your customers at that point like hey listen to this but it's just it ain't gonna be that great you know even the pressings like mm-hmm. just spend the extra penny to to, to press it right you, you know <laughs> and you know how you solve that just put out less content yeah you know like there's so much there's there's uh there's so many what's that word they call them grails there's so many grails in like my record library that i'm like i really i don't and sometimes i don't even know why i want it i just want to know that i have it like such a weird fascination with stuff and fetish fetishized you know Mm -hmm. kind of a thing um but a lot of times i think about it it's like it's like am i even gonna crack open a specific john coltrane record on you know, out of the 365 days of the year, will I even crack it open within that three? I may not, but having it is going to appease some part of my, mm-hmm. you know, fetishishness, the way I fetishize my collectible, like, you know, well, artifacts. That, that's what's cool. Like I'll make like, cause I have Spotify and I've had it now for a little while. Um, I had it for years and I didn't even know I had it. <laughs> I was sitting there still like listening to mix CDs of me physically burning uh song by song from my vinyl collection uh but that's what i like about it because a lot like i'll make playlists that are just based on what i already have Mm. and i'll just put them on random and i'm like this is like as if i'm listening to my record collection at home but i'm in my car and i don't have to physically do all the you know but then when i do like last night for instance i was making dinner and it was kind of a pain in the ass because, you know, you're making dinner, you're using your hands, you have to keep washing them. Um, but uh, I was just playing singles. I was playing 45s. Mm. And it was just so nice, even though I could I can't find everything because I was listening. And not that I was listening to like super obscure shit, but you can't find everything on Spotify. Nope. Especially when it comes to like 90s rock and roll, you know like punk so, rock. You know what's so weird is like like two specific records that I'm always, I always forget that they're not on Spotify is Drive Like Jay, who's first record mm. and Carp, self-titled. Mm-hmm. There's other, there's the second Drive Like Jay who record on there and there's another Carp record on there, but they don't have but the- not those. And those, and I'm like, the, I, the same label owns those, the, the thing. So why is the first one not on there? Like, mm-hmm. it's so fucking weird why that, like, what's the- what is the legal thing keeping those records from being there? Is the band keeping it from being I there? I don't know. So weird. I have albums that I played on that are on Spotify where I'm like, who even bought this in the first place? How is this on Spotify? This is crazy. Um, but uh, Like a shoegazer on there? No, nah, but the alleged gunman is. 
which is strange. It's like that had to just be with that had to be from the label though. Oh. He probably had to do certain licensing and you know, so maybe even though the first two actually though, I think that's different because Yank Crime by Drywalk Jehu is is on cargo, but it was distributed by Interscope. Uh, the first one is just straight cargo. So, so that's the, it's that so that's Interscope the weird is thing. that that gets it on there. That's bullshit because that first record needs to be on there. But um, but that's what I like. I like to you know listen <clears throat> to uh, there's just still something about it. Like playing forty fives is like yeah, if you want to play forty fives all night and you only have one turntable, then a, and you take yeah. care of your records, there might be moments of silence that are longer than the songs you're playing <laughs> but there's just still something about it yeah. that's that's i'm never it's never i'm it's never gonna get lost on me but then there's other times where like i'm i'm, tr- I'm looking into getting a new uh uh turntable that has bluetooth capabilities and i know i'll probably use it with the bluetooth because i could be running around my house but i'll p- most likely be listening to stuff i i have sitting on my my shelves anyways yeah you know what i mean um because i don't know i have a, i have a real reluctance of like there's just something i have this fear i have this fear that trying to find something new and for me a lot of times new to me means something old <laughs> but like like the other day i was driving and like i never really listened to him but i listened to like the silver apples record and i was like this is, I liked it, you know, but there's other groups out there that I'm reluctant to take a chance on because it's like, well, fuck, I don't know how many more plays I have in my lifetime of things that I love because I know that's going to be good. And I, mm. I don't care how many times, like, I, I don't know if you ever do this on your Spotify, but there's the, they, they keep algorithms of these are the songs you can't get enough of. Yeah. And these are the songs, like, sometimes I'll play those and I'm like, I'm glad I picked that today because, yeah, I can't get enough of these certain songs. And it's almost like like there's certain songs where it's like, fuck, when, uh, I get scared of when's the last time I'm ever going to listen to it. Should I take a chance on listening to something new or should I? I was, <clears throat> I was playing um, I was playing a Spotify playlist and they have these things that says my mix. And I thought... It was yours? No. I thought the opposite. I thought they put together a mix based on what I listened to, but it was like stuff that I wouldn't listen to. Mm. And midway, I was like, this is all the songs I already play. And I looked, and it was literally my top songs from that month. (laughs) I was like, well, I don't want to listen to that. See, and for me, because I'm just the fucking, like, I just have addictive behavior. It's like... If I get stuck on a song, sometimes I'll listen to that song all day long. Like, I won't even fucking listen to anything else. It's crazy. I, I do that, too. I do both. I do, like if, I re- like, if there's a new song that comes out or something that I haven't heard, like, I'll, I'll be watching a movie and I'll hear an old song on the, on the soundtrack. I'll look it up and then I'll just play it. Like, there was a song. What was that song the other day? Might have been a War on, Z- War on Zevens. What's his name? Warren Zevon. Zevon. Might have been one of his songs. And then there was another one that was a, it was a uh, Alice Cooper Only Women Bleed. It was a, it was a show I watched. It was featured in the in the show. Mm. 
And I think I listened to it like 10 times in a row. Yeah, see, that's... You know, and and I was like, fuck, I'd never heard this song. And it's like, you know, when Alice Cooper was big, 70s, whatever. And I was like, obviously, you know all his hits, but this is like... And I was like, man, this is Alice Cooper. And it was like a really good kind of folky, kind of, you know, mellow kind of song. But I'll do that. And then I'll really 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 like in my head i'm like oh my god i really want to hear this one song like i was listening i really had this terrence Trent darby uh song in my head and it was off the second record really unpopular record right and i was she but, kissed me no that's the third record is it yeah I thought that was the second funny. record is like ain't got no memorable songs on it but there was this one it kind of has like a He's kind of doing like a Smokey Robinson kind of style voice on it. It's called To Know Someone Deeply is To Know Someone Softly as a title, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to hear this song. And I was like, I was like, oh, so I, you know, I pull it up and I'm listening to the car and I'm like fucking midway through. I was bored and I fucking fast forwarded it. You know what I mean? It's like such a weird mm. thing. And then I went back because I was in this mode. I'd listened to like Alice Coltrane all morning. And I was in that weird morning. Yeah, I was in that (laughs) mode. But like I was taking a shower. I was getting ready to get in the car. And then I was like, oh, I want to hear this Terrence. And then I put on that Terrence Trent Darby song. And it didn't. And it didn't satisfy me. It didn't cut the mustard. Yeah, it had a limit. And and then I put back on the Alice Coltrane record that I was listening to. And I was like. I just, I guess I was just in that mood to not think about the words and the melodies. I just wanted to hear some spaced out shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I get into those kind of things too, where like sometimes music is like I need it to be on, but I also don't want to pay attention to it. Yeah. So I'll listen to some classical or listen to some Mm -hmm. fucked up Alice Coltrane type shit. Yeah. You know? And then other times I'm like, I can't get enough of you know i can't get enough of your love baby that one (laughs) um no i was you know what i listened to the other day it was like barry white uh, i listened to it four four times in a row was uh uh really got a hold on you really got a hold on me Mm -hmm. like i just couldn't stop listening to it you know song and and then also the sweetest is it the sweetest hangover Mm -hmm. the diana ross yeah like that was another one. I was just like, I, I, I was putting together a playlist and that was a suggestion. And I was like, Oh, I like that song. I put it on. And then I just repeated it a couple of times. And I was like, there was like, and I feel it's nostalgic because that song came out when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I'll think about like being in, you know, the Achata's car, grand, you know, being with dad, being mm-hmm. with, you know, Whatever, being in the... And I don't know why it always is the car. Because mm. I don't remember them playing... Like, maybe mom would play that Diana Ross song in the house. Like, my Nina would be more... That would be more of a chance of her playing that in yeah. the house. But mom I, would play more like Barbara. show tunes. Yeah, show tunes, Barbara, Barry Manilow, whatever. But... For some reason, like a song like Sweetest Hangover, like it just conjures up this imagery of me being in, in a car mm-hmm. somewhere, going to maybe a family outing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and well, I, I think re- about it, I'm like, man, I'm just in the back seat 
of a 1970s car. I remember the car rides, like even when, you know, mom, remember she used to have that Buick? It was a Regal. Mm. Um, that was when it had, the, I think it was Craco. It was like a fucking, the highest tech tape deck. And it was like, and it was still those ones where like, I don't even know the logic of that. Remember when you, it was those big buttons. There was like five of them and that's how you change the, the band. Oh yeah, it yeah, was yeah. almost like the first, like kind of trying to like memory, yeah. but it did, it just went wherever it wanted yeah. to go. It's like what the what was that? And if you had the dial, and it, like really, there's only what does it go from eight hundred to a thousand and eight five hundred? What do you mean the FM dial? I thought it started at like the eighty, like eighty-eight point one. Oh, I'm thinking or, of AM to all. The no, way no, no, no. I'm just thinking like FM band. It goes yeah. from eight hundred to like one oh seven. Yeah, like, you know, very, not that big of a band. Yeah, but um, I remember the radio was always on, like whenever we were driving. Oh yeah. But I think at my Nina's house, they there must have been somewhere where they played music. They played because, it in the house. Yeah, because the girls did. I re, like when I ever, whenever I hear Earth, Wind, and Fire or yeah. like Stevie Wonder, I I'm in that house. Yeah, like it doesn't matter what. I only remember Earth, Wind, of like well, because I was not a. I didn't like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, I loved Earth, Wind, and Fire. When I like there was I don't you know what it was and, I, and this is such a weird thing but it's such a kid thing to think about. The costumes they wore scared me. Well, yeah, they <laughs> were so fucking freaky. For some weird reason, I would be like, that band scares me. <laughs> and that, that one album, it had like that circle. It looked like a coin. Mm-hmm. That cover? Yeah. I didn't like that album. That was cover. a great Like something about that album cover just was well, like, and then Ray's, man, I ain't liking that one. I remember Mom bought Ray's. That's the one with Let's Groove. Mm. That's the one where, that's the first time I ever saw them. That's the one that has like, it kind of looks like King Tut, but oh, it yeah, has yeah. all these. That like album the cover scared me. It looks like the Sphinx. No, it looked like King Tut. Oh, King Tut. Yeah, oh. but it, you know they had all these weird like it was all North Egyptian, African yeah. stuff. But, but I remember seeing them on. Um, and Soul it was Train? so strange. No, it was like a talk show, like a oh. daytime talk show. They came out and did Let's Groove, and the keyboard player sang that part live and it was through like a vocoder i didn't know what that was and like because i know that song and i liked it but what i and i have the vision i could i'm i could see it in my head right now i saw him lean up to the mic he's on the keys and he starts singing (laughs) and i was like that guy's a fucking martian like i don't know about this anymore But I mean, you're talking about me too, where I used to have nightmares of Kiss and I love that band. And you loved them, yeah. But it was like a lot of that imagery back then, it was just freakish. No, but we, there was a turntable in in your Nina and Nino's house because I had a record that we used to listen to in the house, in that house. It was a Fat Albert record, but it had the Jackson 5 Mm. on it and it had Jackson 5 too. That makes me think of my Nina's house. Yeah. It had, um, He's a clown, Charlie Brown. You know mm. that song? Coasters. Why is everybody always picking on it's me? Coasters, Charlie yeah, Brown. Yeah, that was on that record. And then um, our cousins, they would play like the one. I remember the one thing, like they would play War. Mm-hmm. And I fucking just was like immediately like, oh my God, I love this fucking record. I love this 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 music. And they played Zap. And mm-hmm. I those are two bands that and oh I remember they they used to play um I don't know if she was from there, but they used to play Stacy Q. Mm. Stacy Q was like a popular, like that. 
that that style of music started coming around, like that Debbie Deb, Stacey Q, yeah, like all that kind of shit was happening. And they were playing all that stuff. They Mm. were playing all that like funk, like type of stuff that was happening. Yeah, because it was hot. That was the early 80s. That was like the 70s turning into the 80s with like like R&B charting, you know, like uh, singles. But I remember, I think it was, I think Lucy went to go see Earth, Wind & Fire in concert. Probably. And she wanted me to go with her, and I was like, "No, I'm, <laughs> I just was like, that would uh, change I was life. so afraid." And it was just weird. It was, and it wasn't one of those things where I would say anything about it. I just something about it A just fear. Yeah, it was just like, "Nah, I'm yeah, good. I don't want to go there." You know, it used to freak me. Well, like that, like the the vocoder, but like in Zap too. I remember, I remember Zap and anything that had that like the voice that was computer, like, oh yeah, manipulated. It just scared me because it was just, it was so like, I mean, because you're talking, I mean, we were little kids. Like, we didn't grow up with fucking someone playing Krautrock for us. Like, we didn't, yeah. I had, I didn't learn any about, about any of that stuff until I was like in my 20s, you know? Um, we had and, to go find that shit out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the, the like addictive behavior playing things, like, even like last night, I was telling you, I was, I first started playing, I was playing 78s. I only have two, so that's four sides. And um, I was playing that because I just wanted to not listen to my Spotify while I was cooking dinner. And then I was like, oh, let me play all my 10 inches. I don't have that many 10 inches, like the Clash, the Wailers, the rock band from the Pacific Northwest, not Bob Marley, um, and uh, the Humpers. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to keep this going. This is fun. So then I started playing my singles, which I have a lot of Northern Soul. And then I put one song on and I hadn't heard it forever. And I was like, oh, shit. I fucking turned everything off the stove and fucking I was just dancing (laughs) by myself in my apartment. I played that song four more times, almost threw my hip out. I fucked my back up (laughs) because I couldn't stop. I was like, this shit. Couldn't stop. But sometimes I'll do that. Like if I'm reading the paper, I'll I'll play like Chopin and put it on really low just because I want something. Yeah. But I'm not really paying attention to it. But then there, maybe I'm in that no attention span mode, but I want music. But then like, there's a song that's like, I got to just, I don't even care if I got no partner. I don't care if it's jailhouse rocks. I'm going to, a wooden chair is going to be my partner right now. I'm going <laughs> to dance. That's funny. But, um, that's too funny. So recap, Check your head. Uh, how many albums did they put out? Six, seven. Uh, so they did. Hill Communications four. What's after that? After that is Hello Nasty, right? I don't know. The Hot Sauce Committee. I don't even know that album. The In Through the Way Out is like their or the In Sound from Way Out. That's like their instrumental only record. Um, and then I think they did Hot Sauce Committee Part Two. I think that was it. So eight. Yeah. So it's the third album. Um, not on their own that label, or did it come out again? Did it get repressed on what? Grand Royale? Check your head. No. Ill communication. Oh, they might have. You Royale. know, I think Grand Royale might have pressed it. But it came out on Capital. Yeah, it's a Capital. Yeah. Title. Um. I think it still holds up. Like, it's got some pretty like iconic songs. Uh, 
I remember some kids in high school, because I was in high school, and they were like, the, the kids that were into hip-hop would make fun of it. Because hmm. it wasn't like, they were just coming from a, from the standpoint of like, that's not real hip-hop. Um, which, I really like that album, but like I told you, like I the, my only other reference is when, and I, I liked hip-hop before that. Uh, but the culture where I was going to shows like you're talking about, like I saw the Beastie Boys and Fishbone on the same stage. When I saw uh, Public Enemy, it wasn't like fucking Sonic Youth opened up for them. You know what I mean? It was all black audience and it was fucking Public Enemy. You know, um, that was like, it was like a, like being at a fucking a, a rally, you know? Yeah. Um, Beastie Boys ones like that. It was like a party. Um, but I think that I don't know if that was I don't I wouldn't say that I think ill communication was their peak, but I think check your head is more important than their peak. That's just me personally. Yeah, it it, it it's like you wouldn't have ill communication without check your head because check your head is when they like I said they interjected themselves fully into it. You know, they they meet <clears throat> Money Mark and Mario C and there's this whole new like element to their what they're putting out and it seeps into both the instrumental stuff, the punk rock stuff where they're playing the instruments and it seeps into their the way that they're approaching the the rhyming stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like I remember seeing them um, like on this tour, I remember seeing them on all. I went to to the started going to see them since they put out the first record. So I saw them supporting the first record. I saw them supporting Paul's. I saw them supporting this, so on and so forth. And I think seeing them for the first time pick up instruments in in front of a you know a live crowd was a change. It was like a complete changeover. Like these weren't these weren't these goofy motherfuckers that came out from the beginning. Now these were like real musicians and there was a, there was like a whole chain, you know, but a lot of things changed too. Like I, like this, like I said, this album came out the, the year of the, of the LA riots after the Rodney King, uh, cops got away with fucking the bullshit they got away with. And a lot of shit started to change. A lot of stuff got serious, the whole like even like Cube and Ice T's music started to get real like political and serious, what it hadn't been before, really, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was like these guys didn't really take that approach to it because they're, but they started to do it in a different way. Like I said, like MCA started taking on that that Tibet thing and the and the women's rights kinds of stuff. And and I think the the culmination of this record happening is what's cementing them in like their like keeping their status in in like like if you were mm-hmm. going to say a rock and roll hall of fame type of thing yeah like they earned their place by putting this record out they arrived with that one yeah they, exactly like they arrived with this one and i don't mean just because they didn't have hits on the first record and they didn't have hits or good stuff on the second record, but like this was more like who they actually are, in my opinion. You know, it's weird to me. It's like it's almost like I'm comparing it to like Master of Puppets by Metallica. Mm. Like Metallica's first album, a lot of people paid attention to it. 
it made some big, you know, it was, but it was also kind of, I don't want to say pedestrian or, or, or not unsophisticated, but it definitely was rough around the edges, mm-hmm. but this, but it was there. Like it, it made you feel something. Ride the lightning was a big step away from that, but it was transitional. Master Puppets is the one where it's like, holy shit, you know, just like check your head is holy shit. And then you get to ill communication and, and justice for all. And it's like, okay, this band's here to stay. Yeah. And it's also not, it's not the exact same thing, but if you think about the Metallica first record, it's Dave Mustaine co-wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. Second record still, they were it's still doing them. some of his songs and they had, yeah, they had the sentimentality of like how they made that first record. So Master of Puppets was just them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the same. Yeah. Kind of the same kind of thing. Like a little bit of a different story. weren't but held as much. Yeah. And They're it's like, like, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of on par with what the way that I'm, I'm thinking about it. And like, like I said, I had tickets to their upcoming show before, you know, MCA got sick and couldn't perform anymore. And I would still be buying tickets if they were still doing shows and it would be worth the effort to go and like, you know, be out in public and be in a crowd at my age. But I remember <laughs> I took Elijah, they played in Long Beach and I can't remember what year Elijah was born. He was probably eight or nine when I took him. Um, and I didn't tell him it was a Beastie Boy show. Was like, it Long Beach Arena? Long Beach Arena. Mm. And I told, I, Vicky knew that I was taking him, but he didn't know. He just thought I was taking him to an event. I, I think I said it was like a graffiti kind of like art show thing and it was going to be vendors and it was you know it was like a big thing but it was like did you shit in his pants no but we were you know we got to the arena and then when we got there, i was like oh fuck i gotta avoid the merch tables so we had to go in we went through this weird we went to this <laughs> weird way and then we were going through the through the arena the outer hallway and as we got to the arena doors so we were in like the back left hand side of the arena so like when you walk in when you immediately look to the left that's where the stage would be and then like you know we were we had floor we had i had floor tickets and right as we're approaching the door i handed him his ticket and his eyes just got fucking big and he just had this like little like doe-eyed look in his face and i was like come on how old was he I, i think he was nine that's what i'm saying i can't remember what year he was born if he was born if the girls were born and if the twins were born in 95, he was 93. So this was 2001 about. Mm. And yeah, about eight. Yeah. He's like eight or nine. And, he, you know, we went in and then like everybody was fucking high fiving him and like, oh, my gosh, your first concert. And everybody was like making room for us to move up. We got we got pretty close to the front. I didn't want to keep fighting to get all the way to the front. I, I should have thinking about it back thinking back about it but we had a really good dead set dead center you know pretty decent distance to the to the stage and he told i guess he told vicky that he like he thought he maybe like peed his pants a little bit (laughs) when he was at the moment that i showed him the ticket because he literally had no clue you know and i just thought i always think about that i was like i was like that was that the last show? I think that was the last show of theirs that I went to. Mm. I think. Didn't I can't. you see him at the Hollywood Bowl? No. I never saw him at the mm. Bowl. 
Didn't you? Uh, I thought they. You talking about the one you went to? No, that I was the show I had tickets for. Bowl. No, 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 but there was. Didn't they play the? What was the tour for the Intergalactics hit? I went. That was the tour I went to. Oh, I thought they played at the Hollywood Bowl before the last one. No, no, well, I, I only saw them during the I Check had, Your Head tour. I saw them twice. I the had tickets for the Hollywood Bowl. That was the last mm. show that ended up having to be canceled. I just remember Elijah, like when we play music, and they'd be like, "Hey, you want to listen to something?" And he'd just be like, like trying to get him to listen to anything else. And be like, ah, "Beastie Boys." Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that motherfucker knew how to say. He only it's like he to says this. hi, bye, and Beastie Boys. He That's only listens all, to oh, this and Bacon. Yeah, because Bacon Kiss, Lion King, Bacon Kiss, <laughs> Beastie Boys, no broccoli. <laughs> I don't eat trees. <laughs> Yeah, um, so the it's like there's there's bigger hits on on the first record. I like the second record because of the style and like like I think that the second record is a better record, but because of how important I the importance I place on this one. I would say as far as like if we're going to rate this record, I would say this is probably like a good like 8.5. Damn. Yeah. I thought you would have went higher. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like because I think there's bigger hits on the first record and because I like Paul's Boutique better, mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying like, I would say this is like 8.5. I, I th- want to say... Because if you think about it, if this was their first record... It would be weak. How do you figure? I mean, there's really only one memorable song on it. What? So what you want? So what you want. But isn't Gratitude on it? But that's... I don't think that's a... I don't think Gratitude is a memorable song. I I think of it in the context of what's come before. Mm. I think... Well, me personally, I think Ill Communication is my favorite one by them. Um and that probably had to do with Mixmaster Mike mm. and him producing it. Um, um, I would say I would I would probably give this an eight just based on the because I mean I haven't I haven't I don't listen to the Beastie Boys like uh, I was a fan I went and saw them live but I never bought any of their records because I didn't have to because you had them mm. but I never was like. I never freaked out on them. I never. I guess I didn't really grow with them either. Like like the intergalactic that song, I liked it, but I thought they were going by that song. I thought they were kind of going back to being silly, where mm-hmm. it was like. I don't know. I guess I guess I had just run the gamut, because I got deep into hip hop like in the '90s. Like I, and I feel fortunate because that's when a lot of the best shit in my mind was coming out. Like I still make playlists where I'm listening to like J Rue, uh, and Gangstar and fucking Rakim's like first solo album. Um, fucking, uh, brand Nubian. Like I love all that shit. Like they're just the sound of it. It was real crisp and clean, but it wasn't that it was right before it got to that overproduced slickness, you know, mm. but it was definitely the inklings of that slick hip hop that clearly 
Puffy just fucking took the that ball and ran with it and turned it into a whole different thing, um, which had its moments. But uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, I just didn't grow with them. I didn't, you know, I didn't. It wasn't going to kill me to ever see them again. I still haven't seen the movie, uh, the documentary about them. And I see the big, they have a big billboard on one of the, like right there on the corner of Figaro and Olympic. It's like on the fucking building. Oh, really? Yeah, for the... Oh, that's cool. It's like, and it shows each each building has like three, like each one of I them. Re- I really liked it. It was really good. It, it got a little sad. I want to watch it. But, it. but for the most part, it was entertaining. It was good. And it's like, they go into the they go into that whole thing where like they didn't know who they were and like that kind of stuff so it's actually really informative it's really good it's kind of humble it's it's humble but it's also like like uh um because just the two of them now but it's also there's still so many so many so many elements of just their silliness <laughs> well, <laughs> like I, even in the presentation of it i think that's what i liked about them too is they yeah. just seemed they never like when they spoke they didn't try to like like they weren't being this their act anymore no they knew when to do yeah. this and i think that's just because that's who they really were as people but now thinking back i remember being in school in elementary school and there was rumors that mike d had aids remember that there was like oh, yeah. all these like that's when you know that you're popular when it's like you got little fucking kids at I mean we were I was at fucking like nine or ten years old, you know. Like, oh yeah, Mike D got AIDS. Yeah. Like yeah. But I don't know, I'd I'd give it an eight. And uh I think they they definitely are worthy of their weight in salt as far as the contribution that they've they've made to just music in general. Not yeah. like even outside of hip hop. Like I think they um I mean, back then too, like shit, they they could have got fucking stoned, you know. Like they they were still not that far away from the fucking civil rights movement, even though we're talking about almost thirty years away from it when they started, you know. Uh, but it still was like you you don't do that. Yeah. And there's something to be said about three young kids from new york that just were brave enough to be like you know because it didn't seem also like it didn't seem like new kids on the block where someone just like made them into a group you know they weren't fucking uh joe jackson's kids that were fucking forced to be like these were three friends and i don't know too much about their background how they even came together but no one told them that they had to go and and be the white fucking rap group they fucking did it and they could have fucking got condemned for it, you know, and maybe you wouldn't even have known that. And they're a fucking household name, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Cool. But well, uh, we'd like to thank our listener, Chuck D. <laughs> Whenever you want to come be on the show. Uh, I'm not even, I mean, shit, we got Marcus and Millichap back. I'm not even kidding. Now. I'm going to send this to Chuck D and be like, <laughs> this motherfucker is going to just delete me and block me we have to do we have any like paypal connection to this at all no well we're gonna uh if whoever's listening chuck i'm talking to you (laughs) if you guys want to donate because you know this stuff isn't free (laughs) and uh i don't know if you want to donate anything to keep keep these coming and uh 
that'd be great. And if there's maybe we'll attach like, you know, a way that you can get in contact with us. If maybe there's suggestions that you would want to hear us talking about, we're not going to do it. (laughs) But, you know, it just be nice. It'd be nice to hear from from Chuck. (laughs) It's all about Chuck D. We, I mean, we got to do a Public Enemy one. Listen to the new Public Enemy song. I'm oh, going to yeah. listen to it on the way home. I. Right. Oh, God. Fucking Chuck B. I wish you'd do that, though.